Cowboy shit this episode <laughs> number 101 the next 100 thanks for listening for this 100 kobe go ahead no, all right no, he drinking already no he's no. just got a diet coke oh, oh you're gonna talk, you're gonna talk to i gotta talk to the mic Tricks, we guys. already had to redo this one anyways episode 101 i'm ted he's wacy our friend kobe moore the one and only western sports photographer in the hotel room this morning just wrapped up grand prairie last night we're uh about to head home but uh got her going wacy let's uh, let's talk about our sponsors oh uh, yeah we, yeah before we get into things let's, we got to thank our friends from circle four beverage company so the ranch water and sweet water they they've been with us now for a few months so they're pretty awesome they're still it still seems like a bit of summer left the weather's been so good so it's a good time to enjoy sweet water or and or in ranch water at the same time um, and secondly, our other friends from Manscaped, support for Cowboy Shit is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Uh, Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels to keep your pumpkins fresh during this cuffing season. Um, Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Ted and I both have these. They're fucking awesome. My nuts have never been cleaner. Well, like, I've never looked better, I don't think. Just less hair. I don't know cleaner's not cleaner isn't the word. Cleaner isn't the word. Um, but yeah, anyways, the 4.0 joined two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive exclusive offer from us to you. 20% off free worldwide shipping with code HugeBush at manscaped.com. Go get one. You'll love it. We love it. Can't go wrong. Great people, huge bush. I know you're uh, for those guys with uh with an old lady around this cup this uh winter season. I know she'd probably appreciate a little bit of manscaped in her life. During less those cold bush, winter months, more action. Less right? bush equals more action. And you know what? Presentation <laughs> wise, works. less presentation wise, less bush helps 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 help some lads out. If you know what I mean. If you trim the if you trim the bush, the uh, the trees look bigger. Exactly. That That's what exactly saying? what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, it's that's all true. I need all the help I can get. So I, that's I, I feel that. Well, Wacy, uh, <laughs> we just uh, <clears throat> we just wrapped up uh, Grand Prairie here. We had a. Uh, heck of a way to write it like there's, there's been a couple of those this year jake gardner wins uh in in uh in grand prairie his basically home crowd of lots of friends and family around from good to see him back in canada John. too yeah exactly uh so we you know spent a lot of time in the prca rodeos getting some qualifications up to really get going again next year but yeah couldn't really script it any better he's only got to go three for three this weekend uh that was that was neat uh but you know, talking about those hometown crowds, we had Tanner, you know, winning coordination. That was like his first PBR win and he won in mm-hmm. his hometown. That was a neat, neat one. But um, go ahead, Cole. Well, last night was Jake's first uh, tour win for. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. He's never done one of those before. <clears throat> oh, wow. OK. Came up to me after and just said uh, three years of trying on these things and uh, finally, finally, got, finally one. got one. And he said it must have had something to do with the the home crowd, the, the homish crowd. It's, yeah. I mean, in 2021, it's going to be his home show. So, yeah, I like it. So yeah, was, he, uh, Jake's been riding good this summer too. You've seen him, a lot of videos from down the States making yeah, some good rides. So it's good to see him come home and, and do win. some damage. But so we, we just dropped Grand Prairie. We got, uh, um, 
what else? We got Medicine Hat coming up on the 16th, Calgary the 23rd, Saskatoon the 29th, the 30th. Then the PBR moves to Yorkton uh, on the weekend of the CFR. And then we finish up in Edmonton, Rogers Place, November 12th and 13th. Tickets on sale for all tour stops. Now, check it out. But, Wacey, you got a little black under your eyes there. Is that a black eye? Okay, before we get into this, before we get into this, I want to say thank you to the people for 200,000 downloads. That's huge. We just oh, hit, yeah, that, cool hit that over the past week. So that's yeah. really cool for us. We appreciate the support and people listening to what we have to say for whatever reason. So it's kind of, it's, we really appreciate that. That's awesome. It's kind of funny. Sean, Sean made us those, made it made me a really cool uh, uh, little plaque that he 3d printed and it said uh, 200,000 downloads, 100 episodes, September, 2021. And I, I, I was giving him trouble because I was like, I don't know, Sean, I don't know if we're going to make that by the end of September. And then yeah. we, we hit the 200,000 on October 1st. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was, oh, sending him, I was sending him updates on like on the night of the 30th. And I was like, ah, we can just round up. I think we're, we're close enough. So is that yeah. a count your chickens situation right there? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so it's like getting like a, a, your team's like championship tattoo, like before the team actually wins like the championship. Like in game six. Yeah. It was yeah. like. It's like, ooh, yeah. But anyways, I appreciate the, the cool. gesture, Sean. Yeah, and it's a, it's a pretty cool piece to have uh, have kicking around now. So, yeah, I guess what's the next milestone? I guess 300,000. 300K. 300 300K. Let's keep growing. Ooh. Let's keep growing this thing. Keep sharing by, some stories. By that, time, by that time, that guy will have, uh, like, metal 3D printing figured out. He's, he's <laughs> yeah. having a lot of fun with that. Get a, yeah, I get a plaque for it, for sure. Okay, well, that's cool. Black Super guys, sweet. let's go. Spill the beans. Oh, okay, well, I had a big sports weekend. Uh, started off Friday with the Flames versus Canucks preseason game. I went with my friend Josh and his father-in-law. So as we're walking to the game, Josh's father-in-law pulls out a couple of spicy darts. He's like, hey, my Paige's boyfriend gave these to me. You guys want to smoke one before we go to the game? And, and we're what? like... You said a spicy dart? Does that mean it's, it's, a, it's like electric, some, electric some, electric, some electric lettuce was involved in this. Like a doobie. This, you talk, this you spicy yeah, it's a joint. It's a joint. So I think the legal two. definition is cannabis in canada yeah sorry anyways, just throw that out there i call them spicy darts because they get me feeling spicy anyways we're walking to the game like from my place to the dome smoke the spicy darts and like all three of us are just cooked by the time we get to the game it's so wild so I, we end up getting cranked up we had a, re- a way wilder friday night than i expected um so then also the rough riders are in town so a bunch of like, like 14 of us got tickets to the game so yesterday we uh got our acts together got rid of the hangovers that we need to get rid of and then went down to Pazzer's Saskatchewan pub for a pregame before the game. And then one of the, one of the people we were with had some face tattoos. So naturally I put some face tattoos on because I love the, I'm from Saskatchewan, love the riders. And then we went over to the football game and watched it, but man, it's crazy how shitty Stamps fans are. Like they're not good fans. I, I like legit, like it's, it's a shitty stadium and shitty fans like there's no noise like there's they're just like everybody's just so like meh but there's no energy at all like when i went to the rider game in regina to the labor classic there was thirty thousand people there like going but you could feel the energy and like how excited people were and the people were actually cheering there's actually some um enthusiasm behind it like and we sat like in the lower sections of mcmahon and it was just completely dead like nothing like no fun i think i think calgary stamps fans specifically or in stamps itself is like a organization trash team trash organization they're an amazing team and an amazing organization but they're just at that stale point calgary's we've the stamps have done a lot in the league for a long time and and have kind of created an expectation out of calgary fans i will i'm a calgary fan and i'll admit we can be the 
freaking the worst. just the, the worst absolutely no mm-hmm. no question we're the like close-minded um sporting fans in my opinion you, you bring up another team and it's just like man man the flickers you know oh, instead yeah. so yeah. i just think there's so much expectation out of out of calgary fans at mcmahon there and then just you know mosaic or no you've got a diff is it mosaic it's mosaic yeah, so field, mosaic yeah. beautiful only a couple of years old huge excitement surrounding that deal what do we got, man? We've got constant argument between city councils and three P yeah. partnerships to build new stuff for our sporting team. So it is, it is a mess situation. So as long as they weren't treating you shitty, then that's then well, they were kind of being kind of lame. But anyway, Riders <laughs> lost. That's not a big deal. But did you guys know? Here's a fun fact. I read an article the other day that the Rough Riders are the second most profitable franchise in Canada, behind the Habs. I think we might have talked about that. Yeah. Maybe that was another conversation, but oh, it's pretty. It's pretty cool though. It's pretty neat that like a, CF, a small CFL team in Saskatchewan. I'm surprised it's not the Leafs though. Just surprised. Montreal, I'm just surprised. Man. Yeah, yeah or, Montreal, or man. They, they love. They love it. What other uh, useless stats do you have about the Riders yeah, that you could share with us? Go ahead. How busy was uh, Pazers? Pazers was not busy actually. It was really? pretty disappointed. Yeah, we're pretty surprised disappointed. We showed up there. It was sweet though. Like I, I, I like that bar. You've been there, Teddy. It's a good spot. They got good, like Sasky traditional Sasky like. Plates like the Regina, bars. Ribs. Regina ribs, yeah, yeah. whatever. It just like vibes of like a, a small town bar at home. Like it reminds me of the the bar I grew up going to, all that kind of stuff. But back when you were any lab, useless clubs, rider facts, man, I don't really know many. I was at the Grey Cup, and did I tell you guys what, what at the time when I was at the Grey Cup in 2013 when they won with the Sheepdogs. Yes, yeah, that was the greatest sporting event of my life. Yes. I was bought my t- I bought the ticket at 11 a.m. the day of the so game. So far, yeah, so far it was awesome. It was to watch the riders win at home. The 50-50 was 350 thousand, I think. Pretty good, and it went unclaimed. It went unclaimed. Fun oh, fact. Yeah. Um, wait, so we got to talk about man. We got to talk about Newfoundland. Oh yeah, fuck, man. There's been lots of stuff on the past week. Man, it's... Newfoundland was legit the wildest week of my life. So like, far, bar none. Bar none. yeah, so far, so far. So to lead in, these two gentlemen spent about a week each in uh, Newfoundland for their good friend Preston Sears' uh, nuptials and uh, got up Tight to no good. Became Newfoundlanders? Is that? Yeah, we got screeched in. Screeched in. There's, there's got to be more yeah, of this. Look at this. Screechers. Yeah, Uncle Patrick. Newfoundlander. Uncle Pat. Officially so, screeched in by Uncle Patrick. So when you visit Newfoundland, they have this thing called screech, and they have a screeching in ceremony. So basically, screech is just shitty spice rum. It's <laughs> the way I understood the story from Uncle Patrick. Um, but anyway, so the process you have to eat a piece of Newfoundland steak, which is basically which is just bologna, and then you have to eat a little candy that's like I think it's like a mint, like called they call it nubs or nibs or something, and then you have to do a shot of screech, and then you have to recite a, a sentence in like a Newfoundland accent, and then you have to kiss a codfish. Do you remember what the line was? I think or it's that, uh it's are like you not they, allowed to are you not allowed to say it? Is it like part of the screeching that fight, you can't I don't know. Clubs. There's, there's can't nothing here that says you can't do it. You can't. He's checking the legalities towards what he can do. Man, I'm gonna hang this I'm gonna hang this by my degree. This thing's fucking sweet. <laughs> I'm That's amazing. I had so much fun in Newfoundland, man. It was great. Um, I forget what it was, but it was something. It's like so so the guy asked you, it's like yeah, it's like cock is an old friend, apparently. Is you a screecher? Yes, I is meal cock. And may your long, or I can't remember the last part. And of that. long may your big jib draw. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's basically like supposed to make you say like cock and and jig and a bunch of stupid jib, shit and big yeah. jib. Yeah, draw. It's pretty good. Yeah. But it, everybody fucks it up at least three times. But then Uncle Patrick explained where that part came from. It's because a lot of the people who came to Newfoundland came from Cockney, and that's how you, that's how you'd refer to like someone from Cockney, like you're an old cock. But 
Man, Newfoundland's crazy. They have crazy names for everything. Like they have Dildo, they have Conception Bay, they have Cuckold Cove. <laughs> I saw that on one of the maps. Did when you I was say Cuckold Cove? Yeah, that yeah, was, they, that have, they legit have one. Like it's just so, up, it's it's just north of like St. John's. It's crazy. Is it, is it like the the cove that just gets to sit and watch? Or I don't, man, I have no idea. Apparently, like some one of the guys said, it's like, well, these these were all named before people knew what they were, and I was like, yeah, right, dude. The people naming this shit, like they knew, <laughs> they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew. They're fucking yeah. with you from from the They're, from the past. Yeah, no shit. But it was cool, man. It, we we quit. we got to stay right in the St. John's Harbor. So we had to see the Navy was in town for a couple of days. Got to see a submarine yeah. coming into. We have port. military. Um, we do. I think wow. we saw the whole, all like the, the entirety of the Canadian Navy was in St. John's. We were there. <laughs> there was one like boats. one like supply ship, two two battleships, and a submarine. That's the Canadian Navy right there. That was, it was all there. We like to partner with people. Saw all of it. It's okay to be small. <laughs> but uh, that was really cool to see. Um, we went to the furthest most east point of North America called Cape Spear, just just kind of uh, just east of St. John's. And we went there on a, on during the tropical storm. So it was like 80 to 90 kilometer an hour winds and like constantly like you. Did the time blow you over? Did you feel like oh, man, it's, it's, it's crazy, dude. Like you think that, you know, wind living in like southern Alberta, like we get like Chinooks and like Lethbridge is windy as fuck. But like you have no idea what wind is until you've experienced like off the sea like that. It's crazy. It's like. Like it was luckily blowing us the right way, so we didn't get blown off the cliff. But yeah, it was pretty cool to see. Like there's like 30, 20, 30 foot waves. So seeing the the ocean angry was really neat. But for the most part, the weather was great. Like the whole time we were there, they never had any shitty weather. The partying is insane. Like both bars, last calls at the well, the last call at Preston's wedding was two forty five, and so like it's just a whole other planet out there when it comes to partying. Dude. So which one wins then for geographical traditions? Uh, getting screeched in in Newfoundland or getting laid in Hawaii? Mm, getting screeched in Newfoundland. Have you Fair been enough. to Hawaii? Yet? Never enough. been to Hawaii, but I, I man, I, I man, Newfoundland is just a good. I, I fit in really well with the people in Newfoundland. They're my kind of people. When are you going back? And are you? Uh, yeah. Are did you, you find a lady life? love on the trip? No, no. I, I made a couple. I made a friend along the way, but okay. I wouldn't call it love. Yeah, a friend. Okay. Guys, that's, 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 that's all I'm gonna. That's all I'm gonna say, boys. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> Will so she be say, on the upcoming episode of The Bachelor? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Do we need to do we need to zoom her in? I forgot. I forgot about that. That the I bachelor. I, that I agreed to that. You did, Wasn't yeah. there a deadline? Wasn't there some sort of like if I don't have something? If I if I well if I, just if I'm like say, if I'm not dating somebody like basically come January or end of January I gotta do it again. I dig it. All October, right. November, December. It's a three so, months waste. I don't have it, much would, time, boys. Would, <laughs> would, would we be bad friends to Wasey or or good friends to the podcast if we cock blocked them for the next three and a half months? <laughs> oh, I don't want to be that guy. No, that's that's anything. Well, any, I mean, and like, I don't foresee myself dating somebody that like in the next. I just because there's like no, I don't have any prospect. I don't like. I'm not really like seriously seeing anybody, and I'm so busy that searching for. A girlfriend in these in these in this economy is just not it's not it's a hard thing to do <laughs> i love the economy comment in this economy um, um, i gotta yeah, say anyways. too storm and i had a great time in newfoundland we we saw a lot of neat stuff we went Man, over to yeah Gross you just did yeah we made mm-hmm. a lot of miles we went over to gross more and went over to uh um leanne um leanne oh, i think somewhere like way up north by like saint anthony it's like the furthest north uh in newfoundland yeah furthest north west point in newfoundland it was like a 12 hour drive from St. John's weather. There was like, there's a Viking settlement there from like a thousand years ago. That's the first, that's like the first con, the first, first contact. Yeah. Yeah. One of the first from the, from, yeah, it's pretty neat. It was, it was neat. That's and, so cool. That's cool stuff. Beautiful. Um, 
Yeah. You can you can see the mantle of the earth in Gross Moor. Yeah, yeah, the mantle. mantle. Yeah, the mantle. We walked all through. It looks like Mars. It was that's kind of cool. Yeah, and we had some really nice meals in a couple fishing villages. Uh, There was one over there that was like I think it was called Trout River, and uh, I had halibut cheeks, and I thought that they were supposed to be better than they were. They were real stringy. I don't know if they were supposed to be like that if they cooked them wrong. I had cod tongue. Isn't, isn't the cheek yeah. supposed to be delicacy? It's supposed to be really good, but it was really yeah. stringy. So I don't know if they mm, cooked it really wrong popular. or if it was, wasn't right. But the best meal we had out there, there was one at, at uh, there was this Nettie's Harbor Inn. They had a black spruce restaurant upstairs and they had, mm. had breakfast. We had like, I had like sourdough pancakes for breakfast two mornings there. It was awesome. Then we had a really nice, I had a really nice Alberta beef steak that one, the one <laughs> night actually. Storm got, uh, I had to ask him because we were in Newfoundland. I was like, where do you get your beef from? They're like, oh, it's Alberta, Alberta. beef. And he was all yeah. pumped about it. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll take a steak out here then. Sure. Trying to have some nice meals and take the food. Meals. The food was good. The food was good over there, man. It was awesome. The, yeah. The best meal we had was fried cod, like pan fried cod, like way up in by, by uh, St. Anthony. That was, that was the best meal I had up there. I think. Circle, if you look like you're thinking fish. There's well, the, hey, and the, did I tell you guys what the the one? So we went to this one brewery called Kitty Vitty, which is a little like kind of a little like trendy area of St. John's, mm-hmm. like this little like fishing inlet, and they have this beer. It's called Iceberg, and they get it. There's only one guy in North, I think in the world who's licensed to harvest like iceberg ice. So he goes out during iceberg season, harvests a bunch of ice water, and brings it back to this brewery, and they make a beer with it. And like the water, the water's so pure from the icebergs, they have to add stuff to it. So like the beer like sticks to whatever, like it's like, there's like, it's parts per million of like minerals in it is so low. They have to add minerals to it for like the beer to actually get made. But man, it is one of the best beers I've ever had. They call an iceberg beer from Kitty Vitty comes in a blue bottle. It is so like fresh. It's awesome. I drank a ton of those when we were over there. Iceberg (laughs) is this iceberg hunting stuff is new to me. That sounds like I want to meet this guy. Yeah, it's it's literally just like one guy from St. John's who's like, and it's like twenty thousand year old ice that they're is he, getting. Is he just like, like mad extreme? Like you know those we've seen those photos of like Newfoundland towns when there's a friggin' like skyscraper sized iceberg just rolling past the towns yeah. out there. So like, does this guy just get real excited? Like, I think he has like I, swim out, like climb on it, chip some shit. Like, what's the? He has a boat with like uh, I think he has like some kind of like arm on it that he can like just like break off chunks of ice and then so put it cool. onto his- yeah it's pretty neat yeah holy so that's part of the story we even went to kitty video which was not awesome so that was a that was a cool highlight the history there is so neat in st john's like because they didn't join confederation in canada until 1949 but there had been people there since like the mid 1800s like they've been like an independent nation for so long and it was before pretty cool that, too when you count the uh vikings yeah well and the native american population as well yeah. people that live there first yeah the anyway people too. yeah there's so many people yeah, right. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It was really well, neat. We better wrap up the first half. When yeah. you spend anything else, we'll call it no. good. No, if you ever get a chance, go to Newfoundland. Do go it. Check it's it out. Great, it's a great spot. Who's your interview yeah. today? Keith Ryan Cartwright. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, coming up next. Keith Can Ryan confirm, Cartwright. confirm he is a Nickelback fan. <laughs> this is episode 101. Cowboy shit with Ted and Wacey. I'm Ted. He's Wacey. Our friend Kobe Moore joining us today. We'll be back with Keith Ryan Cartwright after this. Well, he blew up the chicken man in Philly last night And he blew up his house, too Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief Gonna be a rumble on a promenade 
And the gambling commissioner's hanging on by the skin of his teeth. Everything dies, baby, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday he comes back. Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty. And meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Welcome back to Cowboy Shit. This is episode 101, our first of the next 100. And we have our guest for the show on the line. He's the former editorial director and senior writer for the PBR. Renaissance man, some might say. He's wrote about rock and roll. He was a movie critic, a entertainment writer, and he's the author of a new book, The Black Cowboys of Rodeo, Un- Unsung Heroes from Harlem to Hollywood in the American West. Coming to us from just outside Nashville, Tennessee, my friend Keith Ryan Cartwright. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Hey, so I was looking at your bio here, and you've you've been you've interviewed three different whites: Betty White, Jack White, and Mike White, and the White Stripes. So four, you could say. It's that that's quite a quite a uh, interesting uh, set. You've got entertainment, music, bull riding, and and another. Uh, and another band. I thought that was kind of funny from three folks with a different last name, White. You've got you've interviewed a lot of a lot of interesting folks in your travels. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I and I, you know, a couple of those are pretty interesting. Um uh real quick, the first time I inter- I ever interviewed Mike White, I knew and I committed to I was brand new. I wasn't overly familiar with people, especially on site, you know. And um, so the first time I interviewed Mike, rather than just say Mike and leave it at that, I I slipped and I referred to him as Mike Lee. Oh, he wouldn't like that either. <laughs> yeah, that was um, yeah. yeah. It, 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 listeners who are familiar with the PBR will will get the humor in that. Um, but yeah, I I, I called him. Uh, Mike Lee the first time, but, but Mike White and I got along great. He was a great interview. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Um, so Betty White, Betty White was interesting as well. I, I, um, I was writing and producing television shows. And at the time we were doing a lot of the, a lot of the countdown shows for CMT. So 20 sexy Southern men, 20 sexy Southern women, (laughs) 20 sexy videos, 20 greatest moments of Shania Twain, 20 greatest moments of Hank Williams Jr. Like we, I could count to 20. Okay. I, I absolutely can count to 20. And, uh, but we were shooting one of those shows. I don't remember which one. And another producer called up. They knew we were going to be in LA shooting interviews and they were working on a countdown of um, comedies, comedies that would appeal to, the country, the, the CMT country audience. And uh, Betty White was coming in. Um, they needed they needed to get an interview with her. And um, they knew I was going to be set up doing interviews. And they said, would you mind interviewing Betty White? I said, uh, ab- absolutely. And so Betty comes and we had a we had a green room next to a room that we shot in. And they're just hotel rooms um, at the Roosevelt Hotel on uh, Hollywood Boulevard in in Hollywood. And um, she's in the green room. She's very friendly. 
And then her and I go to walk next door to the, to the next room where we're going to do the interview. And as soon as we get in the door, she stopped and she kind of, she kind of had her hand on my shoulder and she said, Oh, you, uh, you've, you've never filmed an old lady before. <laughs> and I said, Excuse me. And she goes, do you know how I know you've never fil- uh, filmed an old lady before? And I said, um, what no idea i'm thinking like some kind of humor is going to come out and she said look at where you got that fill light pointed she said you got the lights all fucked up for an old person like me (laughs) she said you turn that floodlight on it's going to shoot from behind my head through my hair and make me look like involved and uh and then she just walked across the room and started moving all the lights around and said this this is how i like my lights oh wow that's pretty damn cool. She knows. That's a light story. Oh dang. Um, okay, then you then it's uh Jack White. And it wasn't Jack White. Jack, Jack White's White part of the, the white stripes. It's him, him and his sister. Is he? Yeah, it's him and his sister. Okay. Oh, that's right. But yeah. he, he was another band too, wasn't he? Uh the Rack and Tours. They only had like I think they're one hit wonder. Okay. They kind of were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Like- so um Jack, I um I interviewed him because uh this was before Jack produced um, the album with Loretta Lynn. I uh, there's two there's two stories in the Tennessee in, in, in when I was writing for them about music, and I I never really wrote much about country music for the Tennessee. They knew I was an LA guy, and so I was kind of I wrote more rock and roll. And I guess Jack was rock and roll, you know. So that was somehow how I I I got well actually the Jack White story was for a CMT magazine and um but uh for the Tennessee and I wrote a, a kid rock story and I was one I was the first person to ever write about the, the the friendship between kid rock and Hank Williams Jr and then a couple of like a year or so later I was the first person well before Jack produced the record it, it's actually what led to the record I wrote a whole story for CMT magazine about how one of Jack White's favorite uh, female singers is Loretta Lynn. And then um, her, her manager saw that article and things, things just kind of happened from there. And, um, and that's what led to him producing the Loretta Lynn record. And so that's my, uh, my, my Jack, my Jack story. Jack White. He, okay, was, he had actually made a movie. He had made a movie, and but we never talked about it. We ne- oh. not one not one minute of the you know he he got on the phone and then he knew I was writing for the Tennessean and CMT and and that I was in Nashville and all he wanted to tell me about was how much he liked country music and 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 how much he he hoped to to. Uh, live and work in Nashville one day in which over the next few years after that, it, it kind of happened. Wait. So tell me then where he ended up because I thought he was always like one of the most b- badass guitar players around. Yeah. And now he's in the country music side of things. Well, I, I mean, the that. record producer as well, he lives in Nashville. So no, he sure. writes and produces a lot of music for a lot of people. And, oh. um, I think he lives in East Nashville and and when he first came to town he had a studio not far from not far from my house. So Dang. yeah, he's uh 
like the rack and tour band that that uh, Wacy mentioned earlier um those guys all kind of came together in in nashville Na nashville you know it is the country music capital correct you know there's no doubt about it but people forget the actual nickname is music city usa not yeah. country music city usa it's music city usa so nashville's where dylan went to electric nashville's where uh matchbox 20 recorded all their albums you know nice. at ocean way Studio down on music row i mean you um the kid rock records are there even though he's all about the d detroit <laughs> uh, he's a he he was he was influenced and inspired by nashville um the beatles now this isn't really nashville but they loved nashville um <clears throat> The Beatles were inspired by Buck Owens. That's that's more Bakersfield, California. Oh, but you know, who would have thought when you listen to the Beatles music that that uh, some of those guitar riffs that they that they have, it prior to them writing those, they're they're listening to to Buck Owens. Dang. Okay, I got, a, I got I got a question. You can take it however you'd like to. But who did you like interviewing more, Alice Cooper or Tough Cooper? <laughs> uh I'll, um yeah I'll... <laughs> okay that's gonna be my guess i don't i don't know like i know that uh well i'm i'm just gonna venture a guess that tough cooper probably doesn't give a shit about our podcast but i feel like that guy is full of shit sometimes just gonna lay it out there yeah I don't, I don't know him well enough. I'm not dodging the question. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him well enough. I know, I know that uh, there's no middle ground. I think, okay. I think people are either in his camp or I don't have any reason not to be in the, in the, in the camp. I honestly, I, 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 I only have a vague uh, recollection of, of um, talking to him. Of the interview. I don't remember. I don't remember what I wrote. I don't remember okay. why I it wasn't him, memorable. But I him. Okay. Strange deal. Okay. What about Alice Cooper now? To wake up. I know. I remember that. You had to wait that for him to wake up. Was, yeah, he was. The interview was set for whatever time. They said he usually sleeps in, but he was still sleeping, so I had to call back and. Like, <laughs> oh wow! He was, he was, Nappy yeah, time. Night night time. What a little baby. Okay. Oh, anyways, Alice Cooper, not a baby. Probably a pretty sweet conversation. Yeah, um, we talked about we talked about golf. We talked about how just his staying power, how even his genre of music has has kind of waned, and yet he's found a way to always remain sort of sort of relevant. You know, like I I guess I guess if you are fortunate enough to to reach what let some sort of legendary status you can you can sort of um, ride those waves and and you know not really not really fall down in the in the in the valley off the wave huh that's I've, a I'm, dumb analogy but you know what i mean <laughs> i get it i uh man i have so many questions about this list of these of these different interviews like keith has this insane list of people he's talked to like just okay, I, have, names. I have three questions in regards to this, to this list. Okay. But the, I, I just, I'm just going to mention a few Wayne, Wayne Gretzky, Garth Brooks. 
The only one that we that I think we've had on that you've talked to that we've had on the show so far is Larry the Cable Guy. Um, you've got Dan Rather, Jerry Reed. You uh, you did a you. Did, I remember seeing a lot about a big piece you did with uh, Sally Field. Um, what do I got here? Kevin Bacon, Kevin Costner, Tommy Chong. Then, yeah, Canadian band Emerson Drive. Um, I can't read my own writing here now. Who I who? Oh, Terry Bradshaw. Yeah. Uh, but holy shit, Trevor Brazil, Ty Murray. Um, I'm just, I'm, I think it's kind of crazy, but I got, I got, I got a couple things, but let's go back. Let's go to Wacy first here. What do you, all right. I'm, I'm, when it comes to the music side of things, like who has been your favorite interview, um, from that list so far? Uh, I, I don't, it, it's really hard to, to say just a, a favorite. I know that, you know, um, Ted, Ted mentioned Sally Field. And when you get done interviewing Sally Field and she says she's going to remember our, con- you know, like, I'm going to remember our conversation because great journalists are rare and great conversations are rare. And, and um, you're one of, you're one of those. That's not exactly how she said it. Pretty close. Um, that, that kind of that you know that kind of stays with you. Um, interviewing Hank Jr. and having him talk about um, the broken relationship he had with the with his kids, uh, most notably Hank the Third, and and have him tear up and and cry during the during the conversation. I mean that that uh, that obviously stands out it's powerful um, stuff yeah yeah you know and and um you know uh it, I, this really probably is out of out of your out of your purview or what have you but ronnie james dio for the band dio you know back when there was um black sabbath and iron maiden and all and dio and all those you know so here's ronnie james dio and my uh my tape recorder it wasn't a digital recorder it had a little it was it held a little cassette but it was handheld and um it it, it died in the middle of the year oh, no. <laughs> no. and he said uh, do you need batteries i said it can't be the batteries i put at the beginning of an interview i would always put brand new batteries in because i never wanted that to happen. it just it it stopped and um he had a bag with him and in that bag was a little mini toolkit. And here's Ronnie James Dio stopped. We stopped the interview and he's got a, a screwdriver out and he's taking apart my digital recorder. And I, and I said, wow, um, are you sure we're going to get this back together? And he said, you know, dude, I, I take apart and build musical equipment every day. He said, I, I think I can handle it. <laughs> oh, and, no uh, and then lo and behold, he got the tape recorder working. Nice. No way. So little, little things like, little things like that, that, that stand out. I mean, going to, uh, going to South Dakota with Kevin Costner and, and, um, interviewing him at Tatanka, which is where the, the land where they filmed, um, dances with wolves and talking to him about the history of the Buffalo and what attracts him to, you know, the, the Badlands and, and Deadwood and, and, um, and all that. I mean, that was pretty, uh, 
pretty, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, there's been moments that have been, that kind of just stand out that, that I don't, I don't know about a, a favorite per, hmm. per se that when we get done, there's going to be one that pops out. I mean, <laughs> I interviewed um, former president Jimmy Carter and I remember right next to me, I had a big piece of paper that, that I typed in humongous bold lettering, Mr. President, because I didn't, I want, I didn't, I needed to, I wanted to remind myself that no matter if you're able to make it conversational, never, never not call him Mr. President. And, and so it was my first time interviewing a president. It was over the phone. He couldn't see it. And, um, and I didn't know how long or how short the conversation was going to be because he had a, he was in Philadelphia. He had a speaking engagement. It was a Friday afternoon. And they said the traffic will be very bad. And there is a little bit of distance between where he was speaking and where the airport was. And they said, basically, when we, once we get in the car, his assistant will call you and hand him the phone. And um, you have, full reign to, to, to talk to the, the president until we get to the airport and he has to get out of the car. And then, you know, but like I say, I had no idea how, what that, what the, what the traffic would, uh, would be like, but, um, you know, inter interviewed him and, and I needed a, it was one of those times where I needed a, a reminder because I didn't not, I didn't want to have another, uh, Mike White, Mike Lee kind of <laughs> Not with a yeah. former president. A lesson. No. Do you do you have like a, a bucket list of people you want to talk to? Like some big fish you haven't had a chance that are just the ones you want to get. I mean, aside from us. Well, man, my <laughs> the, the the big check mark is is off tonight. Um, well, this this isn't going to seem all that impressive to to a lot of people, but. Um, I love history and I don't really consider myself a journalist. I'm a storyteller. And whether, whether I'm writing for a magazine, a newspaper, a web site, or, or writing a television show or helping out on a documentary, you know, whatever, whatever project I'm writing on, it, it's about storytelling. And so to, to me, two, two storytellers that I haven't met, um, Ken Burns, the great document, the documentary filmmaker, and uh, Ron Howard, another another great filmmaker who who has now gotten into doing documentaries almost as much as the, the big blockbuster movies. And so, <clears throat> I've not I've not um, met or or spoken to either of them, and and I you know I'm I hope to. We what uh, what brought on the conversation with Wayne Gretzky? I gotta I gotta ask that. He he was at the PBR World Finals in um, oh. two thousand eight or two thousand nine. That was, was not friendly. the most friendly, but he was but he was at the finals. Oh, okay. and he was there way early during the during the day. Um, Randy Bernard is uh, good good friends with him, and and at so at one point. Um, that's right. Wayne and, um, and John Elway, uh, they were, they had bought into, um, Spire, wasn't it? They were part owners. Spire Capital. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. they were, in, I, 
you're not embellishing, but it is a little bit of an embellishment to say they were part owner. I mean, they were a fraction of an owner. Oh, of the company that owned it. Yeah. Okay. They were, they were, they were one of many, 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 many investors in, in the, in the Spire. Okay. Okay. What about Jerry Reed? I have that name. Oh man, let me tell you what a, uh, so for those who don't know, he's an incredible guitar player, uh, incredible songwriter. Um, he's one of the greatest guitar players of all time, bar none, end of story. Um, but he also played, uh, the, in, in Smokey and the Bandit, you know? And so, uh, so anyway, I did a piece for Country Weekly, which was a, a glossy magazine you could buy in the grocery stores near the cash wrap for many, many years. I don't, I don't think it exists anymore. Not as a magazine anyways. And um, anyway, so the, I was writing an article for them and uh, him and I met in, um, in, in Brentwood at, right outside of Nashville at a restaurant and um we spent the whole afternoon together, just, just, uh, just talking. And, and I really, I really admired him. And it, it wasn't too long after that, that, that he, uh, that he had passed away. And um, we had a great time. He was wearing a hat. Uh, and I know he, I knew before I said this, that he's an Atlanta Braves fan. He loves baseball. I love baseball. And he's a huge Atlanta Braves fan, but he had a, he had a hat on. So, you know, that, um, that NYFD with the Yankee logo, it, it's a, it's a hat that came out after nine 11 and it was, it's really, it's a, it's in memory. And it was a lot of the money went to some nine 11 charities or whatever. But the fact that there was a Yankee logo on a thing, I said, Oh, Jerry, I, you're a Yankee fan. And, um, and he kind of looked at me sideways and, and said, this is a New York City Fire Department hat. And I said, there's a Yankee logo on there. And he said, you mentioned me being a Yankee fan one more time. And you <laughs> and that red recorder you're holding are going to go south of here, if you know what I mean. Uh-oh. And uh, he was kidding. But, um, and I think at that moment, we just sort of bonded with our wry, dry sense of humor. Well, that's fun. I uh I think we should go into go into the uh the book side of things. But I but I have so many questions about the about the you know past experiences and, and the different things that you've done over the years. I know um uh, you mentioned with uh with Jason and Tanner and Scott that you guys got into a lot of the rock and roll side of things. Uh but you sent me uh, your book uh, back in like April. I got the April draft. I don't know when we even talked about confirming the show. We talked about doing it a while ago and uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to do it till now, but I like the timing of this where we're, you know, a couple of weeks out from before when you put the book out, but yeah. Grace and I both put a lot of time into, uh, into reading and going through your new book. And uh, I've, I've loved it so far, Keith. I haven't got through the entire thing. I wanted to get it all the way done. I wish I would have started a long time ago and read it one story at a time. Um, but we got, I got a ton of the way through it. And, uh, and, and I, I, I guess each story and each person, there's so much to what they've all done and, and kind of like the, 
I'm not sure if I'm remembering right if the if Danny mentioned it in the Danny Glover, who we can talk about and how how you two know each other, but I think he mentioned in the in the forward that it's it, the you know the Black Cowboys of rodeo and Western heritage. Honestly, the only one, the only one, the only there's only a few that I guess really stand out from from my memory, and it's on the rodeo side of things between Bill Pickett, Charlie Sampson, and Fred Whitfield. But everybody else you mentioned, where you get into the when you get into the Hargos and you talk about, uh, you know, like James Pickens Jr. on the on that side of things, like his story that that you wrote. I don't I don't even know where to start on the book book side of things, but but uh, I guess we should start with the very beginning with the with Danny Glover and and how he ended up being part and and writing your forward. Let let's start right there. Yeah, yeah. So um, you meant you mentioned uh, James Pickens uh, Jr. Um, who plays. Um, Dr. Weber on Grey's Anatomy. He's been on how many ever seasons that that's been around now? 18? Since 05, right? right? A million. Are they on 18 or 19? Um, I don't know. How many ever seasons? He's one of only, I think, two actors that has been on every season of the the show. So um, James and then Glenn Turman, who he's an Emmy winner. Um, He was recently on... um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He was on the fourth season of uh, Fargo with Chris Rock. Uh, way back in the day, he was he was in the the classic Cooley High. Uh, he made his acting debut on Broadway um, with Sidney Poitier in the original production of A Raisin in the Sun. You know, Glenn, Glenn's a um, well, and of late, he's him and his granddaughter are featured. They're the they're the two featured people in the in the Beyonce uh, yeah video for the for her new clothing line um, inspired by Black Cowboys. So yeah. there were two actors and um, Oba Baba Tunde it, uh, and Reginald T Dorsey. So there's four there's four guys who are they're Black Cowboys who happen to be actors, yeah. and all four of those guys are in my book. I met. Everyone was telling me about James Pickens Jr. I happened to meet Reginald T. Dorsey first and him and I got to talking and then, you know, Reginald set up for me to interview Oba Baba Tunde and then I interviewed uh, Glenn Turman and then I interviewed James and then I went back and interviewed uh, Reginald and all four of them are profiled in the book. Again, they don't, they don't simply play black cowboys in movies. They're black cowboys who happen to act. And um, and I became friendly with all four of them. And Reggie, Reginald and I, we talk all the time, our text, and we just communicate a lot. And on a Friday night in June of 2020, during the pandemic, everybody, we weren't really locked down, but there wasn't a lot open. There wasn't a lot going on. And what are you going to do on a Friday night in the middle of a pandemic? And so I was on the phone with Reginald and, um, and I told him I really needed, uh, I said, man, I, I need to, I need to figure out who's going to write my forward. And I thought I had a list that was like pie in the sky, like really reaching. And, and on that list was Danny Glover. And, um, 
and but I didn't want to I didn't want to say any names when Reginald and I are talking and and he said well hey you know what um I agree with you and he goes if you want you know I'm not telling you who should write your forward but if you want I, I can I can ask Danny what he thinks and I said Danny who Danny what he goes Danny Glover and I said dude if you can ask Danny Glover <laughs> and he happens to even say yes he, he can write my foreword all day long. He can help me co-write the book if he wants. To. <laughs> and so we got off the phone and, and Reggie sent a text telling him about the book and my project and how the four, those four actors are in it and blah, blah, blah. And um, the work that I had been doing. And about 45 minutes later, Danny texted back, um, simply said, let's do this. And then another text came with his email address and his assistant's email address. And then on, on that Monday morning, um, I sent them uh, an email. And a little bit later, I got an email back from, uh, from, from Danny and his assistant. And, then, and they just said, look, we would love to write the foreword. Thanks for sending us um, you know, a, a PDF of the, of the book to, to, to read through. And if you can give us two months, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a forward. And then um, it was about two and a half months later. Uh, I just randomly on a Wednesday afternoon got the, got the email back from them. And I saw that there was an attachment and I was a little nervous to open it up, you know, Oh yeah. And then, uh, and then I opened it and, and I read it and I got, and I have to say, um, I mean, it's my, it, it's this book that is now, you know, I spent uh, three and a half years uh, putting everything I had into, into research and writing and, and whatnot. And then for Danny to write what he wrote and when people read it, there's a lot of times when a celebrity writes a foreword, all you really get is their name on the cover. And I say <laughs> all, like it's nothing, like that's yeah. going to sell books, right? I got a name on the cover. And when you read it, dude, dude put his heart into it. Oh, yeah. It's 100%. A real, it, it, there's real information. There's real research. And he's there's been to these real references to my book. Like he read... He really read my book and he wrote, he, he, what he wrote sets up the book. Like when you get done reading his foreword, you are now really ready. There's stuff that he put in that I didn't have to do in my introduction. Mm -hmm. And um, it, he, it's, it's a, it was real, man. And mm -hmm. I was, and it's Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon. Yeah, the Danny Glover. <laughs> What and 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 he was Deets on uh, yeah Deets from Lonesome Dove yeah best cowboy movie Dove. ever you know and, and and he did that for for me I'm the beneficiary he really did it for for Reginald and also knowing Glenn Oba and James are part you know those guys being in my book is what led to him saying I'll do it. But he ultimately did it for me. I'm the beneficiary of what he did. And I, I don't know how you pay that back. 
and with Danny, he wouldn't like you technically wouldn't consider him a black cowboy that um no he that was an he, actor he he's uh, an actor he, he that, that likes our cowboy shit too he he appreciates the history and he understands the history and he he's a yeah. historian and he 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 um uh, there's a movie one of his movies is um buffalo soldiers and um the buffalo soldiers sort of predate leading into black cowboys of the old west you know they were they were the black soldiers during the during the uh the, the civil war um and so he he got that movie made you know like so when it comes to that history he's working hard to make sure it's known and then you know to to know that i put a the effort i put into it he he just he supported me even though he didn't know me and someone in i am well aware that even with all the effort i put into this book and what what it will represent once it's out without those friendships i, I don't get danny glover but just, I mean, it, it, that's a, that's a fact. It, and it's not because I don't have him because he, it, uh, because I, I wrote a, I wrote a, uh, what some people might call a great book or some people might say it's a good book or whatever, you know, it, it's because of those friendships that he even picked the book up. But once he picked it up, I, I, he, he saw what I did and, um, and then he wrote, he wrote that forward. And it sounds like I'm making a big deal about the forward, but it is a big deal it has, for, a big for deal. many, it, for many reasons, for many, for many reasons, there's bookstores that are going to, that are going to, when, you know, when you're walking through the aisle and some of them, you see the, the spine and some, you see the front, my book in many bookstores with the name Danny Glover on it, they're, if they're going to turn it forward. Mm -hmm. you're going to see this walking through, you know, and it's, it's because of that name, you know, and it, and it shows to me when I read, when I read his forward, it showed to me that he, it's a, it's a piece he's passionate about. And, and he, I'm not sure if you mentioned it now or, or if it's in one of the many stories, but he's been to the Bill Pickett rodeos and, and he's oh, yeah, been yeah. A part of these events. Like it's something that, he might, you know, Danny Glover might not be a cowboy, but he's played them in the movies and he's, you know, he might not be as authentic on the cowboy side of things as the other uh, people in the book, the cowboys in the book, but, but he, he, it's, it's a passion for him in it. It seems like it's a passion for him in what I read and what he wrote. He, okay. He may not be a cowboy in the sense of, the two ways in which we identify cowboys, a yeah. working cowboy or a rodeo cowboy. So he's not going to rodeo per se. Um, he's been in the grand entry many, many times for the Bill Pickett. Many times he's been the grand marshal for the, for the grand entry. He can walk up to a horse. He can go in the tack room. He can get everything he needs, saddle a horse, go riding. He knows what the hell he's doing on the back of a horse way more so than I do. Right. And and when he gets done, he can he can unsaddle that horse, put everything away. What and he knows how to how to 
he just he knows what he's doing. Um, he absolutely, but to say is he a cowboy or not? He's probably you know not a cowboy, but he appreciates the lifestyle, and and in a lot of ways that that's that's what matters. I mean, I remember when I was with the PBR, and um, oh, I was probably six years in at this point, you know. That's a long time to be in something every day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Every day of my life for, for, for seven years, I, I, uh, I woke up and went to a bull riding, wrote about bull riding, watched bull riding on TV or talked with somebody about like, there was something about bull riding every day for, for, for seven years. So I was integrated. I was in that, I was in that world. And, and, uh, Shane Proctor, uh, asked me one day, we were, uh, we were just standing around on monster energy cooler, I think, really, yeah. to be honest with you. <clears throat> and and he said, Hey, I got a I got a question for you. You've been around so long. Um, how how come you when you come here on the weekends, you haven't started wearing cowboy boots and a cowboy hat yet? And I said, Man, for you, for you, that that's a lifestyle. That that's who you are. For me, it would be like at worst, like at best, it would be a uniform at worst. It would be a costume in any way of that. My, the reverence I have for what that means to wear um, and the appreciation and the understanding I have, I, I don't want to be in a uniform or a costume at an event because I'm going to lose the respect that you have when you talk to me and he put his hand out. I mean, I knew this guy, I mean, I'd seen him every weekend for, for six years and he, yeah. he shook my hand and he just said, that's the best way I've ever heard anyone put it. And, um, I, uh, he goes, if you ever wanted to wear a hat, you can, you've earned the right to wear a hat, but you've also earned the right to understand why you're not. And he goes, the fact that you understand why you're not, and that's what, that's the principle you believe in. I, I can, um, I can respect that. And, uh, and I think as, you know, um, Ted, you know, you were, you've been at enough different events. I, uh, I, I'm not being cocky when I say I know I had the respect of those guys. You know, I never, oh, yeah. I never did anything to disrespect any of them. And I, and I, and I treated them only with respect. And I think everyone understood, understood that um, even if I was wearing, um, you know, tennis, tennis shoes and a pullover shirt, you know, uh, that I, I had the utmost respect for them and what, and what they were doing. I, I, uh, appreciate that too. And I respect that Keith on the fact the same kind of, uh, I have never had the conversation with Craig Hummer on it, but I see the Calgary stampede on TV every year. And, and one of the hosts and, and I work with Mark Lee and I like Mark Lee. He's not a cowboy. And, and, and I think he, um, you know, I respect that he wants to wear a hat. Um, I like the fact that Craig Hummer is in the same position as you were and are, and takes and chooses to not wear one. I think it's a more, I think it's more respectful for that person in that position to, to, uh, what am I trying to get at? Like to, to be, to I be guess ourselves. I don't, 
else. Not be somebody yeah. you're not. Yeah, yeah like, that's what else we are. Be yourself. As yeah. much as we, as much as both Craig and I need to um, show our respect, man, that's a, the respect is a two way street. So yeah, re- re- respect us for who we are, or and respect us for the time we've taken to know this this lifestyle and and the fact that that we approach helping to tell those stories um in a in a as as genuine as we can especially coming in as outsiders too right like you, you guys don't have that background ever grew up around rodeo and never competed it like you come to it with a respectful approach which in turn has led to gain the respect from the people within that circle yeah i mean I mean, that's why not a week goes by that I, I'm not on the phone talking to somebody, you know, whether I'm not there every week anymore. Right. But but I I'm, I I still talk with, you know, Cody Lambert and Ty Murray or 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 Justin McBride. And, you know, um, I'll call and shoot the shit with jim sharp once in a while you know um once a year i keep in touch with cody lostro you know there's a a number of guys you know luke snyder and i'll send text messages back and forth there's there's um there's a bunch of them you know jb mooney and i you know um jess's career really matured after i had left i'm speaking of jeff lockwood but you know, he and I'll talk once in a while. Obviously, some people know that I I still write uh, PBR stories for MonsterEnergy.com, mm-hmm. and Jess mm-hmm. is obviously a Monster Energy writer now. Uh, but I only need them for about five minutes to get what I need to write the short story that I write for for Monster. And and Jess and I might be on the phone for for an hour, you know, to this year, I've, I've, what, yeah. Well, I mean, we get the five minutes done and now it's just us talking about something, you know, something that's happening or life or what have you, you know, um, the, the, the same with Cooper Davis, you know, I, I texted him one, one time, this is a while back. And, um, and I, I just, I just texted a comment compliment a ride or something that i saw just the way he i love the way he handles himself you can you can see it from afar and i and i've talked to enough guys that are around him that said what you're seeing is who he is you know and i i just i i sent a text and i said hey man this is krc you there's no reason for you to really know who i am or or remember who i am whichever case it is um, but I just want to tell you that I admire and then whatever it was that I had just saw happen. And, um, and, and he called me up and he goes, dude, I, I know who you are. What are you kidding? And so we, we kind of communicate once, once in a while. And I, I really, for me, that guy is a, he, he's a, he just feels like a leader. You know, he's, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad to see a guy like Cooper Davis in, in the PBR locker room today. I think, I think those, whether, whether the other kids understand it now or not, and they may, I mean, they obviously look up to him because he's a world champion, but um, 
one day they're going to understand what they got from being able to put their bag next to his. You've mentioned friendships a couple of times and talking to different people on the, on the list. Uh, we've kind of focused on this a lot so far, but I'm, I'm curious how many true friendships have come from these years of being in this business and being on the interview side. I know, uh, you you've already mentioned it. You, you keep up, keep up with all these folks and, and, and you, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off because while it's, while it's on my mind, I don't want to forget how to, how to articulate this. Like, so obviously a little bit ago, when you introduced me, you talked about, I wrote about rock and roll. I, I worked doing television. I toured with some bands. I, I was a movie critic, all the publicists I worked with, all the people that I wrote about, all the people that I would have worked with, um, all of that, dude, when you're not in that, when you're not in that tunnel vision, out of sight, out of mind, by and large, not a hundred percent, but overwhelmingly, if I see people from those points in time, we will communicate, right? But by and large, those things are fucking done. But the Cowboys, real friends. Really? Still friends. You can go all the way back to, it, um, and a lot of people don't know, that my real introduction to the, to, to the Western world, to the cowboy world, was that, that I pretty much went and lived with the Steiner family in 2002. Um, and I can go, I, 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 I can go 11 months, 12 months without talking to any of them and then call Bobby Steiner on the phone 1972 world champion bull rider, the father of Sid and Tommy Shane, the grandfather of Rocker and Steely. Um, I can call him on the phone and tell him the book that I'm working on. We'll pimp it one more time. Which, which, which he's, which he's mentioned in and, and, he's and in quoted. It. He's in it. Yeah. He's in it uh, numerous in it times. More than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. A ton. Because I, I knew I knew he knew Murtis, but then he knew Willie Thomas. Yeah. And he knew Fred Warden. He's the one who told me to, that I needed to track down um, the Walker family in New Jersey, so which they had nothing to do with Texas and pro rodeo. Um, but I, I just I called him and I was telling him what I was working on, and then and then just like that, he just. He just started forwarding me phone numbers of people to uh, Bubba Goodo, you know, like he's he's quoted in the book. And um, one, I would have never I would have never known to call Bubba Two, Bubba would have never taken my call and called me back if it wasn't for Bobby saying, yeah, talk to him, you know, and um, and so that. Cowboys are cap like man that there there's it's just not phony. It's it's for real. Um, I mean, I'm not around the PBR every day. I'm I'm just I'm not, and it's not like I'm going to call Sean Gleason once a week. You know, the current CEO of the PBR, but 
But if every few months when I call him, he picks up the phone, mm. you know, I, I talked to, to uh, Jim Hayworth, who was the CEO between Sean and, and Randy for, you know, really probably two thirds of the time that I was with the, the, the PBR. And, um, and he's a confidant, you know, he's someone in my life that I can go to for advice. He's someone that I, um, he, he was more than a, he was more than a boss. There's a, there's a reason he was in that, that, that world. And there's just, there's something about it, you know? Um, I mean, you know, Ty, Ty Murray, you know, I'll, I, I still talk to him, you know, um, when I go to, there's times when I go to Texas, the, um, you know, Justin will have me stay at, at, at his house at jo Justin McBride, you know, and, and when you hear about all those people who uh, stay with Cody Lambert, they, they stay in the house attached to the arena, the bunkhouse. The bunk, yeah, it's a really <laughs> nice bunkhouse, right? Don't 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 let don't don't let that word. I mean, that's a pretty fancy bunkhouse, okay? But I but I stay in the actual house. Um, Not a big deal. The VIP treatment. <laughs> the VIP treatment, correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and you think about in May of two thousand nine, my. Uh, my dad had what we thought was a stroke. It wasn't a stroke, but it was, it, it was, it, it, it had all the characteristics of, and, uh, and they dis discovered he had a, he had a brain tumor and like almost overnight, he was pretty bad shape. And, um, and that was the Friday after Memorial day in 2009. So that's the last week of May. And he, he died the Tuesday, two days before Thanksgiving in November of that year. And every day in between, I was either at an event with Cody or he called or he would text. And he, he knew not to ever, I think he understood my dad wasn't going to get better. Okay. So the question was never, how's your dad? They knew the end, not good. But but the question every single day was, have you talked to your mom? Are you there for your mom? Every day. That's a cowboy. He uh I don't I don't know Cody very well, but my experience of him has been been very uh been interesting i remember having a time i was in uh anaheim or somewhere maybe it was ontario ontario california california and i was there and there's a bunch of canadian folks around with us and i was trying to get a pass because i was like 20 or something and you know i wasn't good enough to be there yet and thought i might have had a chance someday but i actually earlier in the year knew where his first vest was like his uh the first bull riding protective vest like it actually somehow ended up up in, uh, up in Canada. So it was up there for a while and it was with a guy that was actually judging at the event that weekend. His name was Chad Piggins. So I, I worked for Chad and lived at Chad's house in the summertime. 
And so I was going to school in Vegas, just left. It was like, it was fall. It was August, September. It was pretty early on, but uh, I was trying to get a pass and I was with Aaron Roy and Aaron took me to the production room or whatever. And Cody was there and Co Aaron was like, Hey, could we get, uh, can you get Ted a pass? And he's like, who's this guy? Like, why, like, why should we give him a, give him a credential? Like, what's he going to be doing? What's he doing here? And he's like, Oh, just with me for the weekend. You know, we're all, all from up there and he's going to school in Vegas and whatnot. And Cody wasn't having it. He wasn't going to give me any kind of pass to go and hang out at the PBR. And so I piped up and I was like, well, Cody, I know where your first vest is. And he's like, what really? Like he didn't, he, he didn't, he was, he was kind of baffled. He's like, what really? It's like, yeah, it's with, uh, it's with pig. And he told, I, I, I uh, saw it the other day. I was at the house. He's like, well, okay, well then I'll, I'll give you a pass. And I, he, <laughs> <laughs> so then he, gave, I got to hang out, but, and then there was another time where the, where I told him at the world finals, and I don't know if he knows who I am or not still. We've had a couple conversations, but, but, uh, we got the things going with, uh, with pro bull stats and, and with the videos attached to each out. So a guy could watch and watch a bull, uh, you know, he's looking at his bullets. It's, uh, so-and-so. And I talked with Slade and, and, and got it hooked up and, and I was like, well, Slade, I got these videos so I can go and, uh, like, do you have a way to connect this out with that 44 and a half point bull score? And he's like, well, give me a while. And I don't know if it was a week or two or a month or a day later, or however long it was, but Slade told me, he's like, yeah, here's what you do. You give me the unique code for, for that out and plop it in here to my, to pro bull stats. And then you'll link it all up. So we kind of got that going to, so that way. And I said, well, yeah, Cody, I saw him at the world finals. Like, yeah, Slade and I got the video thing going and there was a, an influx of Canadian bulls going to the world finals. Cause you could see him and, and see those outs and see what they were marked. So that's been my only interaction with Cody, but I, I have a lot of respect for that guy, especially with his, with helping the guys out like Jess and a guy from back home. Now, Riley Gagnon has been doing very well that way. So I got a lot of respect for Cody and hearing that story makes me appreciate what he does even more. So I'm, I'm glad he was there for you and your mom when your dad was in that kind of shape, Keith. Yeah, he will. Um, I will. Um, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget that, that, that year. I mean, um, him and Ty and, and even Randy Bernard, you know, when it, when it happened and I didn't know what, I, I didn't know what to do, you know, and um, Randy got me a plane ticket home and uh, it, it was one way. And, uh, and he, and he, he said, Hey, you have a PBR credit card. Just use the card when you're ready to come back to Colorado. And I said, okay, just give me a week. And he said, dude, this is going to take more than a week. And, um, you know, we go on that summer break. And so he, he just said, if, if, if you want to, if you want to stay there with your family and, and figure things out during the entire break, um, it, it's all right. You know, that's, that's fine by me. And I don't know what made, I don't know what made Randy say that. I don't, I don't, I don't really understand. I mean, I don't know how I got to be great friends with, with Ty Murray and, and, and um, Cody so easily, you know, other than I was just being myself. I know with Ty, like, like I told you, I, I had spent time with the, with the Steiner family. And when Ty got wind of that, I think he, I think he had called um, Bobby, Bobby or did and, and chatted with them and they were, and they had 
you know, good things to, to uh, say about me. I think, I think that probably, I think that probably went maybe a long way, not maybe, I mean, it went a long way, you know, and but once, once I was friends with them, once, once you're at an event and you walk into a restaurant and you're, you're, you're basically a nobody, you're brand new and you're sitting at the table with, with, with Ty and Cody and McBride and then Ross Coleman sits at your table or whatever. Everyone else that I work with is off at the other tables. And I, and I know one of them had even said to me, man, you didn't know, you don't even know you're not supposed to sit at the table and eat with them. Like, why was that the (laughs) table? No, no, they brought me. I didn't walk up to the table and just sit down and, and say, hello. I said, no, they, they, they brought me. Oh, wow. And people were blown, blown away. And there were a number of folks who um, they would be, they would ask me um, like on a Tuesday or Wednesday when I was in the office, um, hey, are you going to be talking to Cody today? And I said, I, I talk to Cody every day. Can you ask him? And then they would have like two or three questions. And at first I would do it. And then after a while, I told them, I said, you, you know, he, he's not dumb. He understands what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I'm like you're, you're intimidated by the guy. And so you, <laughs> you think I'll just have to get your answer. And then that, that's just less interaction. I said, the more you show him how intimidated you are by him, the more difficult it's going to become. Hmm. You, you know, and, but if you just be yourself and let them see what it is you do well, what you bring to the PBR and first and foremost, better be passion. You're, 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 it's all good. What, what, how did you meet the Steiners and end up, end up being around them? And then how did you I was, um, I was living in Los Angeles Tommy, Tommy Shane signed with RCA Nashville and um, a publicist from RCA called me up and said, Hey, we signed a new guy. Uh, he's, he, it's a country record. It's a, it's, it's a modern, it's today's country. You know, the record came out in two, 2000, early 2002, I think. Um, but it was 2001 when I got the phone call, but I don't think the record came out until after the first of the year in the springtime. <clears throat> but anyway, I get the call and they, they said he, he, he country. Um, he's also a real cowboy. He's like a third or fourth generation cowboy. He's from Texas. Uh, his, his great granddad, you know, rode the, the range with Pancho Villa they got they've got this crazy history and um but his his two favorite bands are metallica and eminem but he's a country artist (laughs) and uh and you being kind of a rock and roll guy who appreciates country you would be perfect to uh to to write his bio that we're going to use when we put the record out we'll put it on his website and send it out and blah 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 would you be interested? I said, yeah, absolutely. I, I said, are, so are you guys going to fly me then down to Texas so I can 
go there. I want to, I want to be where he's from. And, and I think it's no, 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 no. It's not that we don't want you to go down. If you have to, we'll, we'll send you down there afterward. But, um, he wants, he wants you, if it's at all possible, can you arrange to do the interview at the rainbow bar and grill where, where guns and roses filmed the, uh, the November rain video. And I was like, <laughs> Uh, okay. And so, um, on a, on a Friday afternoon, I met, I met, um, Tommy Shane and, and his manager, Adrian Michaels. And we, uh, we, we sat in the booth from the video, uh, and, uh, we ordered pizza and drank beer and did the, uh, we had this conversation about, his whole life and the record and just the everything I was going to need to write this bio. And then uh, we were done about the time that things start to pick up on a, on a Friday night. And then um, the next thing I know, I, I, I thought I was kind of done and I was going to get out of there, you know, and it, cause I had driven and now I had drank some beers. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if I should even drive home at this point and um and they're staying at a hotel down the street and um so they were like oh to hell with it you can't you can't leave now now you're here for the night and uh and then there we were at the bar and as you ted you you wasty won't know but ted ted will know like you ask anything i am not a drinker (laughs) and uh, i mean i don't know what but it, it was, it, we, I don't know how many shots of tequila we did, but, um, but we were, we were doing te- tequila shots all night. And then, uh, they got me a room at the hotel that they were at. And, um, I'm pretty sure they, they were at, they, it was a Hyatt, but in LA it's known as the Hyatt Hyatt's where all the rock bands stay when they play Los Angeles. And, um, yeah, I don't think I, Fuck, I don't. I don't think I went home until Sunday, and then, uh, and it's then, the uh, and then the single "What If She's an Angel" came out, and Tommy called. We we would talk on the phone from time to time, and uh, the single was coming out, and Tommy said, "Man, I got to go on this radio tour, just me and my manager." And in the Midwest, rather than fly from city to city, we're getting a bus for a big chunk of this. And, um, and I, like you go to a radio station in the morning and you go to one in the afternoon, you go to another one in the evening, you drive all night to another city and you do the same thing over and over and over for five days and kind of have the weekend off. And then you do it again. And, and, and he was going to do this for like three weeks. And, um, and I said, man, that sounds cool. And he goes, what's cool about being in a bus by myself with my manager? Why don't you come out with us? And I said, dude, I'm a, I'm a writer. I I have articles to write. And he said, (laughs) you can have the back lounge. I won't, we won't do anything in the back lounge. You can keep your writer shit, whatever it is you have, your laptop, any notes, your notebook, no one will touch it. It's only going to be the three of us come out. And so uh, for three weeks, I rode around the country going to radio stations and, um, and and writing and then when the fall came and he went to go on tour with uh brad paisley um tommy e i got this email with the tour itinerary 
and I called him up and I said, Hey man, cool. I like the, I like the list of shows and man, um, I don't, I see there's not a Nashville one, but I, I, I will do everything I can to come to the one in, in Lexington. And he said, what do you mean you're coming to the one? He goes, no, I, I sent you the itinerary so that you know where we're going to be. Like you're going on tour. And I said, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, now you're going to have a whole bus full of people. And I said, trust me in the country world, Tommy, you, you can't have a posse. And, uh, and he said, well, I can have whatever I want. My, my, it's my name, you know? And I, and I was like, no, 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 no. I tell you what, if I go out with you, I, I gotta have a duty. I gotta have, I gotta do something like yeah. get, get something that, you know, and I had been a tour manager in the past, but I knew that like they had somebody else that they were going to be using and whatnot. And, uh, and so I handled, uh, I handled merchandise for Tom Shane for a year. And uh, I would, I would write, that's when I was a movie critic. So a country artist is only, usually only plays Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then you come back home to Nashville and then you go back out. And so like in Nashville on Thursday nights, sometime between eight o'clock and 10 o'clock in the Kroger parking lots, when you see a group of cars all all parked next to one another and a tour bus pulls up, that's a band getting ready to drive out of town for the weekend. And mm -hmm. they, they typically meet and keep their cars in the Kroger parking lot. That's a grocery store because it, it's open 24 hours. And uh, some of them might go to like Target or something like that. But that's uh, on the outskirts of town. There's different exits. There's not all the exits. There's select exits where that that's where everybody meets up and then you drive out of town and then sometime mm -hmm. on Sunday you get back home, which would allow me on Tuesdays to go spend the whole day at the movie theater watching whatever movies were going to come out that week on Friday. And huh. so I would I would write movie reviews on Tuesday and Wednesday and then Thursday through Sunday I'd be gone. I'd be gone with Tom, Tom Shane. I did. That was my life for about a year. Oh, wow. That's wild. So when you were a tour manager, well, I, I guess I got a tour manager question, but now, but I, I still want to get back to the book. we got lots more to talk about on the book side, but quickly on the tour manager side. Yeah. Just see, see some wild shit. I, I don't know who you did that for, but that was what you guys talked about uh, on the NFP show with those guys. It was all rock and roll. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, time I was tour manager for my cousin's band Tough T-U-F-F and then um, and then in 2007 my cousin who was in Tough was now managing a band from Sweden called Veins of Jenna and then they were signed to a label owned by uh, Bam Margera and, oh, yeah. uh, and then we went out on tour opening for Poison for the summer playing, oh, playing amphitheaters okay I had another question about so you mentioned Bam what about Johnny Knoxville? What was your experience talking with him like, or what was the occasion for Knoxville? You know, it was when it was when I was doing movie reviews and writing about movies, and and so for him, it was just I think, um, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of the movie. Um, oh, was it the one where it was the Special Olympics thing? 
or was it something? No, the, ring, no, the ringer? No, not that one. It, uh, I did the one where where um, he he played Graham Parsons yep. from the Flying Burrito Brothers. Um, oh shit! I don't know what that one was. Uh, Anyways, not a big deal. Anyway, it, I I I just I interviewed him about about a movie he made and and why it was important for him to 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 want to make the film. I I think it was a direct to video movie. Oh okay. It seems he seems like an interesting cat, though. I I'm uh, kind of intrigued by what he's done and, and respect the work he's done in that yeah. business. And hey, man, with um, with good reason, you know. He mm. he's not like for him and Spike Jones and another guy. He's not really a he's not an out and out jackass. He's pretty smart in that if you really watch that, um, it it took a lot for them to conceive the whole the, the whole idea of of the jackass brand. And and so for him to do what he did, I mean, that's like if someone were to stumble across your podcast and they think just because you call it cowboy shit that you don't take it serious. But there's a whole <coughs> There, there's you know there's a whole there's a whole story to the brand there's a there's a lot of work there's a lot of work that goes into doing what you do you know and and imagine the level at which jackass got to the work that went into it oh yeah it's impressive um, he wasn't one of the those secondary jackasses you know he no. he was one of the brainchilds behind it um Okay, back to the book. Why did you write this book? Why why was it Black Cowboys a Rodeo? You know, I, I just gotta ask why. Why why this project? Yeah. Um a lot of the why comes with how. So Ty Murray in, in uh I think it was around 2009, Ty introduced me to Murtis Deitman. And I got to know Murtis. And the first time that I had a conversation with him, when I got done with that conversation, I turned to Ty when, um, afterward and I said, hey, man, I don't know when, but one day I'm going to write a book about Murtis Steitman. And he said, oh, yeah, really? I said, that, that may be one of the most fascinating people I've ever had a conversation with. And he said, oh, OK. And he just. I don't want to say he blew it off, but, you know, he just, he didn't, you know, that he, I think he thought it was me in the moment and then I was going to forget about it. And, um, but life happens and I'm working with the PBR, I'm doing all the whatever. And so um, in 2007 or 17, when I started to, uh, think about uh, it's time to write a book what am I going to write I had a few different ideas and Murtis was one of them and I I had a conversation on the phone with Murtis and um Murtis Jr his son <clears throat> and the more the more I talked to to Murtis Sr the more he would just mention Bailey's Prairie Kid and Freddie Gordon and Harold Cash and Willie Thomas and all these other people. And I got to thinking, if I write a, a book about one guy, I'm contributing 
to the to the misinformation that there really aren't that many black cowboys and that Murtis, if someone read it, they're going to read it and think, oh, another anomaly, another one of those rare black cowboys. And so I I ended up coming up with the idea that I did for for the book I wrote, kind of based on the story span 100 years. They go all over the country, you know, hence from Harlem to Hollywood and the American West. So I, I covered the country and, and it shows people it, it's not the definitive book because I don't believe any book or any movie can be definitive unless you're Ken Burns doing a 24 hour documentary, you know, um, 12 parts, two hours a night, but a 400 page book uh, covering a hundred years, it's not definitive, but it's pretty comprehensive. And so I, I give you a very comprehensive look at the evolution of black cowboys. And they're not exactly in chronological order, but they're pretty close. And if you can read any, you can read any one of those profiles in and of itself. But if you do read them in chronological order, you're going to see a little bit of the evolution over that hundred year time. And, and so I, I thought that, that that was doing a better service on my part to bringing out the, these untold, um, untold stories. As a matter of fact, I think if, if I, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, this doesn't need to turn into a book reading, but you know, <clears throat> the dedicate, I'll just read the dedication. Cause I think the dedication really sets, sets up what I felt I was doing. Um, former Washington Post president and publisher Philip L. Graham once lamented that news serves as, quote, the first rough draft of history, end quote. Unfortunately, when it comes to more than 150 years of Black cowboys, a vast majority of those drafts were wrong, and the few that had it right were either ignored, lost, or at best forgotten. The profiles chronicled in Black Cowboys of Rodeo and the thousands of other Black cowboys those stories represent are my small part in a much larger ongoing effort to write a second draft and in the process, correct history. This is for those who never had their story told. I, how else do you... I really, that's, that's a good way to that set question. the tone for the book. Yeah, that's like kind of the essence of the whole thing. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, as a, so... Did you have any kickback, like on on the like being a white guy writing a book about about the black cowboys of rodeo? I went. I wonder that way. Um, was there any pushback that way? No. Is there all respect? They respect no, what you want to do. No. Not never never. No. No. no that had nothing. No. Nothing to do with um, it. No. As a matter of fact. Um. A lot of them were thankful. So to, it, it, you can't say their stories have never, ever been told, but it's no, for most of them, they never got to tell their whole story. They only, they, over the years, whenever they would get written about in a newspaper or what have you, it would be, it would be like a little snippet. And a lot of times the snippet never got past hey, this perk that where they would describe a cowboy, 
and it would be some hokey urban description of a cowboy and then there would be, and then it was almost like a punchline by the way he, he's black that's what got written about you know and so for once these guys were sitting down man and they were having real conversations with someone they could tell cared someone who gave a shit about who they were what they did and and how they got to be who they are that i that i that i cared about it and whether it was a black cowboy an african-american studies uh scholar um whether whether it was you know someone at the schaumburg center for african-american research in harlem um the uh the smithsonian whoever Whoever I talked to, not one time that I get, you know, I, I interviewed the a former executive director of the Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel in, in Memphis, where Martin Luther King was a, a, assassinated. Um, no one, the, I never got kickback. Hey, man, you're white. No one, not, no. There, there were a few people who didn't talk, but it didn't have to do with I was white. I, th- I think it all ties back to your, 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 how authentic you are with your approach, right? You don't pretend to be somebody you're not. And you, like you said, you give a shit about these stories. And I think that's, if you show genuine interest with anybody, they're going to want to share yeah. their story with you. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that, and that goes with whether you're writing a book or not, even just having a conversation mm-hmm. with someone, man, you know, when you, <clears throat> there's times where you might be in a, bar and you think you're just gonna shoot the shit with somebody because they happen to be at the table and all of a sudden you have you have a real conversation and the next thing you know you're like oh man i i didn't think i was gonna be here you know i didn't i didn't plan on having three beers and and talk for four hours do you i don't i don't know how far to get into the racism side of things in rodeo and in my experience i have not seen it personally and you're in canada yeah and we're everybody's nice up here right we we murder statement won the guy we that, that, in that's in not only now. like it, that's not a joke and that's not only now because it, okay mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you about a black cowboy he's not in my book because he's not a rodeo cowboy but do you know john Ware? no mm-hmm. uh know the name uh, uh okay. rafter ra- uh wait see we met it for breakfast there with your dad one time you guys lived really close by it's a down south of uh Calgary here. Bar you ranch. Bar you, yeah. Sorry, Bar you yeah. ranch. Well, was right. it, isn't the revenant yeah. loosely so right based off of John Ware? The John Ware Ridge. I mean, it's a huge yeah. Yeah. the landscape is named after him. Anyway, John Ware was a uh, was a, a slave from South Carolina. And when they were freed after the Civil War, he was one of the many who went west to Texas. And he had already had knew how to ride a horse. He had a few little skills and he learned how to cowboy. And then what happens is many of those guys would end up on the, on the Chisholm trail, pushing cattle from Texas up to Kansas. And then they put that cattle on a, on a train and they send them back East. Well, John Ware became uh, famous and 
more so in Canada than, than anywhere, but again, began as a, a slave in, in South Carolina. Instead of loading the, that cattle onto the train in Kansas, he pushed 300 head of cattle. Now this is, this, this is in the 1800s. Um, I don't have that date in front of me or memorized, but we're obviously after the civil war and, and before the old West was done. So we're talking somewhere between 1865 and 1895. I want to say it was around 1880, 1885. He pushes 3,000 3, head of cattle past Kansas all the way into Southern Alberta where the John Ware Ridge is. The reason they call that the John Ware Ridge is he pushed that cattle up there. And that, my friends, is the birth of the cattle industry in Canada. So the, 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 the first cattle in your country were pushed there, brought there by a former slave from South Carolina. And so he ends up uh, meeting a woman up there and he stayed in Canada and he lived along the, what is now the John Ware Ridge. <clears throat> and, um, and, and I think had a couple with his wife and, and basically that's where he called home until, uh, until he was unfortunately tragically killed while, um, while galloping his horse at a high speed across uh, a meadow, um, his horse stepped in a, I believe it was a badger hole and it flipped over and, and landed on top of him and, and crushed him to death. And that, that's how he, uh, that's how he unfortunately passed. Um, and then um, in, in Canada, you guys have honored him and you put him, you put, you put John, a black, Canadian now a black Canadian cowboy on a Canadian postage stamp before we ever put picket on a postage got, stamp and you the got United the picture States. right too eventually they got it right but not 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 initially not initially they spent a, over a million dollars to correct it yeah that was a wild story too I don't want to give away too much in the book either and and part of why like um I I wish I would have finished the whole thing but I didn't want to I like it's I want to wait till I can get the paper copy in my hands Keith and read read it read the whole thing. I I got in and I'm I'm a certain amount through. I I've, I've got uh you know I I read every, I read all the way about halfway and I I wanted to, but I wanted to save it cuz I, I was enjoying it so much. And I'm sorry I didn't read the whole thing. But no, no, I'm also sorry. I'm also not not sorry because I I'm I'm uh <laughs> I'm being uh uh selfish because I want to pick up the paper book and buy a copy and, and I want to read it in my, like, I want to, I, I don't read, a, I don't read online. I don't have a Kindle or nothing. Everything I read is in, is a paper. So I, I, I selfishly want to read the, the rest of it in my, in my hands when I can get the actual paper copy and we can, we can have another conversation afterwards. You know how many people uh, you do interviews with and they don't, um, they read none of it. They haven't, they don't even, they haven't even had it, you know, all they have in front of them is a piece of paper that says the, the, the name, title. the name of the name of the book. Yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to honor you by buying a, buying a copy and having a, I might buy five or six and give a bunch out here up, up our way. Well, and maybe we can do a promotion or something, or I don't know. I don't know, but I, I, I want to help you because I think after reading what I, you know, getting halfway through, I think these stories are, are so, uh, they're instrumental in the formation of the American cowboy. 
and the the cowboy overall in modern times but they're like you mentioned they're untold not not necessarily untold stories but this is the first time this collection has been put together and chronologically like it yeah there's nothing like it and so further to that though i have to ask what your goals with this book are and what they were and where you see it going. Uh, I remember talking to Kendra Santos and she told me that uh, like her book wasn't a big moneymaker. The one, the one that Rustock with, with Ty, um, she said it wasn't a big moneymaker. And, and I, I don't know if that's because of the market was so small with Ty at the time, even uh, though he was the biggest cowboy in the world. I think that with what you're doing, I, and what you've done with this book that's coming out for those that don't know, I don't, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but November November 1st. 1st. Yeah. November 1st, black cowboys of rodeo unsung heroes from Harlem to Hollywood in the American West by our friend on the show here right now, Keith Ryan Cartwright. You're going to be able to get it. I'm assuming anywhere books are sold. Everywhere Um, books are sold. You can buy it everywhere. So, so, so tell me about some of the goals though, because there's a lot to you. You're, four years into this project essentially before it's published you start in 2017 and there's yeah so i i started in earnest july of 2017 and i turned it into my publisher at the end of october 2020 and then once they have it once you turn it in then, then it's one year before it comes out. So I basically needed about a year and a, or three and a half years, and then they needed a year. And so um, it's, it's four and a half years in the making. And uh, yeah, yeah, that, it's, time con- it, it's time consuming because I, I, I started from scratch and I basically just followed the, the stories. You know, Murtis told me about Bailey's Prairie Kid. Then I talked to Bailey's Prairie Kid. And then Bailey told me about Harold Cash. And I talked to Harold Cash. And then Harold told me about Freddie Gordon. And then I talked to Freddie Gordon. And then Freddie Gordon told me about the 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 rodeo in, in Harlem in 1971. And that led me to finding Cleo Hearn and then Bud Bramwell and then Nelson Jackson and, and Marcus Friday and Irvin Williams and you know so I I just found my way around the uh, around the country you know and um, and that took it took uh, it took time and I wanted I wanted to make sure that if somebody told me about someone that I, that I, that I had that conversation, I just, I kept having conversations. And then um, if there anything good came of the pandemic, I, I couldn't, I couldn't travel. Right. None of, no, none of us could, you know? And, and so that, that is basically when, when I, I was like, all right, I have almost three years worth of research and, and interviews and and you may or may not know <clears throat> i had about 500 conversations with 150 or so different people for a total of eight, 800 hours that i transcribed 
And um, I'll, I, I also, I paid a couple of people to help me transcribe because that's a lot of, lot of hours of transcription. And, and so um, the 400 pages you see here is largely from those 800 hours of conversation as well as the research of everything that I could find um, that had been written, you know, because sometimes I wanted to compare and contrast um, what had been written and what was being remembered, you know, and, and sometimes what was being remembered might be a, a uh, romantic version of what was written. And then other times what was written romanticized the black cowboy and today the black cowboys like no no like for instance in the um the la times once had an article where there's a famous stable on the corner of el segundo and figueroa it's it's it's, it's in la um and in the article it says 2000 horses they said yeah, oh go to, this, go to this corner and and you would never know there were 2000 horses well that's because there were probably never 200 horses at one time there yeah. were 200 horses but not at one time there definitely was never ever 2000 horses at a stable at that at that intersection you know and it was the the naivety and the ignorance of that writer, whether it was a typo and they hit the zero one too many times or two too many times, I, I don't know. Or if they were trying to win an award for some big dramatic article, I, I have no idea, but I corrected their history. And so they were the ones that romanticized it in the moment. And I had guys today backing me up like, no, no, there weren't, there weren't 2000. <laughs> That's a lot of horses. Oh That's yeah, especially in in LA, horses. like literally yeah. movie a movie movie ranch in LA. That is that would yeah, yeah. a little bit off there, folks. Um, yeah. So going back to another question, I've, I, it's come back to me a couple times here, and I wrote down a bunch of notes as, we, as we've been going. But I'm curious why you left the PBR when you did. What was the motivation to move on to the next part of your career? And based on things that was based on your career. Your time with PBR is one of the things you spent the most time on in your professional career so far. Yeah, I, I, I did for about six months contemplate to myself that if I was going to continue past when I did, that I was going to be digging my 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 feet in and I was going to I was going to stay there forever. Like that would be my forever job. Yeah. Or as a storyteller, were there other stories to tell? And, um, and in the end, I just, I sort of felt like there were, there were some other, um, there were some other stories to be told. And, you know, I think some people know that, that prior to leading, I, I um, started work on a graduate degree. So once I, once I left the PBR, I, I, uh, I got a master's degree from Harvard and then, um, uh, and I've relocated back to Nashville where I had, uh, lived previous to, uh, joining the PBR. And, um, I thought I was going to work on a project with, uh, Brad Paisley, but I ended up making a documentary with, um, with Kenny Chesney and Sean Silva. And, um, and, and that's just, that's sort of what I did. And 
coming out of the out of the PDR. <clears throat> and then I knew that I was going to work on a book, you know, and and really making a concerted effort to write a book. Uh, one of the one of the people really urging me was not necessarily this book, but a book was, was conversations I would have with Justin McBride and me kind of saying to him as a storyteller, I wonder what am I doing that? Where am I going? Where where is where where's this journey going to take me? And um, and he just said, Diablo, I told you all the time and um, I'm waiting for a book. You got to, you got to write a book, time to write a book. And whenever, whenever I would say something, he goes, man, I, I don't under, I don't understand what you're trying to figure out. Uh, you know, it's time to write a book. And, um, and so then I, I started work on, um, on the book. Okay. You, you mentioned Diablo. What's the story on that nickname? So uh, he, yeah, I'll give you the the the, the straight up uh, the straight up story on uh, on Diablo. Um, you remember when Silvano Eldes came to the United States when he first came, and I, I might get this wrong, but I think he rode his first ten bulls. I mean, he looked he looked like the machine that 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 Lemmy really is, right? And and so I wrote an article after he was like. 10 for 10 and one, two events. And cause I think his first event was a world cup or something like that. And then he stayed and won the first two events or won an event and won the third. I mean, he did really well out of the gate. I write an article and, uh, and I'm saying all the great things that he had done. And, uh, and I can see you're looking it up. So you're going to, you're going to give us the actual, what he did. And uh, in the article, I, I say all these great accolades, but there's one line in there where I wrote, however, we haven't seen him on a 45 point bull yet. That's the <laughs> one thing he's got to show us. Now, I wasn't saying he couldn't. I wasn't saying he wouldn't. Uh, all I did was say all these great things he had come and done and we were all blown away. Everyone was blown away when Silvano first came. I mean, he was lights out. And all I said is, that's all we have to see, man. And I and I meant it like, that's all we got to see. And this guy is a world champ. And obviously, he did ride those bulls and he did win three world titles. However, when Adriano read the article, and he read that one line, he took it that I was trying to poke a hole in Silvano. He took it that I was demeaning Silvano, that I was talking oh, no. bad about him. And he said, that's bullshit. It's bullshit that this guy did this. I was a huge proponent of all the Brazilian riders. I got along, I, I mean, by that point I was, um, I was I was living in Fort Worth by then. I was I was uh, hanging out at Galarmy's house. I would go to Robson's. I would um, spend time at Valderon's house, and uh, you know, I, I just I meant no disrespect, none whatsoever by by saying that. I was just pointing out the like 
the one thing we're left to to see like we haven't seen it all we've we we're still gonna see this and uh and adriana was really upset and uh um randy bernard had left and uh he wasn't there and i don't I don't really know what was going on, but Sean was sort of like Sean Gleason was sort of a intermediate leader of the PBR and Adriano called him on the phone and he, he basically told them about the article and, and said, I think it's, I think it's bullshit that he couldn't just compliment the kid. He had to throw in a backhanded compliment. You know, he, 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 he had to write that, that that shitty comment you should fire him and sean oh, laughed and he said i'm not gonna fire that guy are you i can't fire him he goes i read the article it's a positive article what, are you kidding yeah. and um and then that's when uh adriano said no 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 no. he's bad for our sport his words are the words of the devil <laughs> Diablo. And, and so um when Mac heard that, I've been Diablo ever since. <laughs> okay, for the record, um, Silvano wrote his first 15 bulls in PBR con- competition according to But I to think the, the article came out when he was 10 for 10. Yeah, Something there you go. So, to your point, he came and looks like, I guess I can confirm here, actually. So, this was all touring pro from November 09 to January of yeah, 10. Dude, don't look at the touring pro. Look at, yeah, look at the, the big, top ones. look at the built for tough. So I've got eight in a row on the built for tough, but I have the a declined rewrite at 69 points at the world cup. So he's got eight and then it looks like he got bucked off his ninth bull in Des Moines. So, but then, but my, my point being, uh, it was Nampa. looks like, so let me just confirm yeah. here. Nampa. It looks like he probably, yeah, he won Nampa, uh, which was his first BFT. And then it looks like he probably won Billings too. No, he didn't. Doesn't look like he won Billings. But anyways, won his first event in Napa. Looks like he did well at the World Cup. But to your point, um, for the forty-five point bulls, I didn't find him riding a forty-five point bull until the next year in Anaheim in twenty eleven, where he stayed on a forty-five right. point bull. So to your point, take that, Adriano. research and it took a while, really. Yeah, and it I was the world champion next year, was he not? In eleven? Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't get fired. Silvano won three world titles. He's also one of them that I can send a text message to from time to time. I've never had any, 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 uh, any ill. It was, it was, a, it was a weird deal. Like, and I really think that Adriano missed. I think I just think he he misunderstood. Missed the point. Yeah, the line. It's probably you know? lost in translation. Totally. Because I yeah. said, you know, like I said, it's the only thing we haven't seen is him ride a 49, a 45 point bull. Yeah. And then, and then he, and then he does it and wins the world. That We're now, now that's what we're waiting. When we see that we will have seen every, he can do everything. Yeah. Um, that's what I meant by what, and I, like you said, I, I think it was a, a little bit lost in translation and then, and then, um, it got under and and there was a lot of uh if you remember back then when Justin and J Dub coaching the World Cup teams and and uh 
and and Adriana. There was there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of rambunctiousness surrounding the the what was the World Cup and had now become the Global Cup. You know, behind behind the scenes, there was there was a lot of fire. There was th- those guys wanted to win. You know, yeah. what was funny is. I think the coaches wanted to win more than the riders wanted to win. <laughs> um, Either that or the riders wanted to win. And those coaches from that era that they came from was the era of they didn't they did not want to lose. And they didn't okay. want to lose to one another. And and I'm in the middle of I wasn't I wasn't stoking a fire, but someone had something they wanted to say i was i was listening because i don't think i don't think justin coach i think j-dub might have been a, a world cup coach at that mm-hmm. year um justin was because i think some of them yeah um the uh your favorite story you ever wrote for the pbr real quick For me, it was your work with Frank Newsom. Yeah, I mean, the Frank. three, there's there's several that kind of stand out with the PBR. The Robson Palermo story that I wrote after he won the, the 2008 uh, World Finals event. The Adriano retirement story. Um, the, the story that I wrote about Brendan Clark after he nearly died in, in uh, Omaha and Tandy basically saved his life in the arena. Tandy Freeman's story about being the everything doctor for everyone that's involved that wears a cowboy hat and, uh, and, and, and Frank Newsom. Those, those are probably, I, 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 there's, boy, I wrote a, I'm not a, I'm not a science. I'm not a, like, I didn't like science class when I was in school, but, um, but I wrote a, I wrote a magazine piece for pro bowl rider when that magazine still existed. Gosh, it must've been a five or six page spread on the clones. And I mean, I went and watched them make the clone in the, in the, petri dish and um did the research on the science behind cloning i incorporated the 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 religious morals is it right or wrong is it right or wrong in competition like i was really in depth it was um so i guess somehow somehow i got to take one of those other articles out and uh, well, Adriano, you called me Diablo, so I'm taking your article <laughs> out. I'm gonna put the clones in my okay. What, how about, how about now, though? My comment on the journalism side of things, and I, I have not paid close enough attention lately, but I think that some of those longer form really, do you call it a humanity piece? Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a journalist to know enough about human interest. Human yeah. interest. That, some of that stuff has gone away more lately. We, I haven't seen as many of those long form pieces that I've really seen shared around social to a point where it's something that I want to read about a guy in the PBR side of things. I haven't seen a lot of it lately. I don't People know if it's the attention span for it nowadays. Is that what it is? Or oh, is it a oh, lack of the content coming out? I, and I'm not throwing a slight at 
PBR or Felisco, but are, are they just not doing it as much? Has it not been a focus lately, or have I just not seen it? Have I just not been paying attention to to see it? I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I'll I'll say this: um, if people didn't have a focus or an attention span, they wouldn't read a book. But they'll and they're reading books. They're, yeah, like people are still read like. Um, I will admit there, there aren't as many outlets. There aren't as many places for those longer pieces. Um, but, but I, but I think even when I was there, there would be people who, who would argue like, Oh, uh, people don't want to read, you know, but the Frank Newsom deal that that's probably, I have a hard time thinking that, uh, well, for all the wrong reasons, the the Mason Lowe obituary may have passed it in the amount of hits and reads that the Frank Newsom story, but but straight up mid season article, um, and as long as that one was, um, I I I proved people if you if you write something and you you start the little buzz gets created when people read it and they can feel the heartbeat they can feel the passion uh they can feel the sincerity uh it it took off like wildfire and for a long long time that was the nothing whether you go back to um um pbrnow.com to pbr.com that new that frank newsome story was the most read deal, but I, I I will say I, for all the wrong reasons, unfortunately, I I think, I think the the Mason Low obituary um, probably got a lot of, lot of attention. I need to get to your take on the World Finals moving to Fort Worth, and the season switch up. What are your thoughts on that? Quick, and then Wacy, you can finish it up, and then we'll call it good here. I gotta get going but but we appreciate your time but two two quick ones before we're done and i i said it from the get-go you give texas an opportunity to host the pbr and the prca man they are not going to let go and um uh what texas wants texas kids and (laughs) and texas has one thing that 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 uh las vegas doesn't they have they have a state government um they have the, the city of Fort Worth. They're all working in concert with one another. They wanted, they, they wanted this and they were, they, um, they, they got what they wanted, man. And I, and I, and I, and I, I told you it was unfortunate uh, for um, that. It was COVID that gave Texas this opportunity to host the PBR and then the, the, the NFR Um and so now, now you see the the PBRs taking its World Finals to to Fort Worth. I also think Fort Worth is a, a real city to keep an eye on. I think it's on an uptick. You look at um, they built that Dickies Arena. It's downtown in the cultural district. Uh, they're revitalizing um, the stockyards. You go to downtown um, uh, Fort Worth, and you just start to look at hotel and convention uh stuff that's going on and then uh and then i've i've seen a number of articles where 
where it maybe not in Fort Worth, it might be over in, in, um, in Arlington, but um, I, I think you're going to start to see, I think you can start to see some casinos, you know, and, and uh, then it's going to be game over. What about why in May though? Like I, I don't, I, I have got a, I'm not going to go to Fort Worth in May for really, even if it is the world finals. And you, you, and I, you, you, you say that, but if they give you an opportunity, like, yeah, I think it'd be an opportunity, you know. but I'm just not going to pay, pay my own money to go as a fan to watch personally. Cause in May in Canada is a nice time of the year. And I, I, I think I'll probably stay home and watch it personally. Well, like, you, you're, you're, you, you don't have a huge population up there in Canada. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So We're a small market. There's that We're handful minor of details. people that live in an area where you're going to say, Hey, this is the best time of the year to be at home. But yeah. for most of us, that, that isn't really the case. I, I think in putting May. it in the centralized in the United States, I think giving itself that a little distance from the NFR, um, I, you, you can't, you, you can't put, you can't put the PBR world finals in Vegas in May. It's proven people aren't you want to talk about where they're not going they're not going to vegas in may yeah for sure and i'm not going to i'm probably not going to texas in may but that might be that might be different for a lot of folks i but but then again and i'm just speculating and i I haven't heard for sure but i i think that there's a split season now where the world finals are fort worth in may and then the uh maybe there's a team scenario coming out that i haven't maybe it's out maybe it's not i don't know but i think there's a team finals maybe in the fall still in Vegas. Like that's what I'm just assuming at this point. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I heard the wrong info or I'm not sure, but, but like, what are your thoughts on that kind of scenario? If it was Fort Worth in November, I'd be all over it. I would be there for sure, but I'm, I'm not so sure about this split season with the team format. And I'm not sure if the team format's really going to fly. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to wait. I haven't said for sure. I mean, we yeah. hear a lot of people talk about it, but, um, don't we'll, know yeah, see how that how that goes. Um, What's your take? It, though? It's interesting that you you would go to Fort Worth in November, but you don't want to go in May. Because it's nice at home <laughs> in May. I'm gonna golf in, in May at home. Okay, so yeah. it doesn't matter where, what's happening in May. You're not going to the event. No, I'm gonna be at home. We have too many events at home in May as well, right? For as far as. There's a lot of big rodeos on that time of year. It's just getting nice here finally after seven months of winter. And, you know, in November, it's fall and it's busy and, and it gets cold in Canada. So yeah, we'll but, go down. So, but in May, it's but, nice. I'm not going. But to play know. devil's advocate, then in November, yeah, there's a, you're willing to go to the PBR World Finals. But there's a lot of people who say they're always having to make a choice between PBR or World the Finals or the NFR. That's fair. Whereas if you, if you break them up, that might be their choice of their vacation in the, in the summertime, you know? Yeah. They might go to both. Yeah. Now they can do both. And, and for that too, putting it on the Memorial day weekend for you guys in the U S is that the case or am I off on the dates? Is it not Memorial day? Like, is it not? I think it's the weekend. I think, well, it's two, it's two weekends. They do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I, I don't. I think I think it ends the weekend before, before. Memorial. Okay, I was gonna say if that I wasn't sure if the weekend was a big was a draw or not or whatnot. But anyways, I was curious to get your take on it a little bit. 
And then yeah. we could talk about the team safe stuff, but I think we have to do another show sometime here, Keith, uh, yeah. to talk more. And we've only been talking about rumors anyway. I mean, until, until point, we know yeah. for sure something's yeah. happening. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I just don't see them finishing the year in May and, you know, only going that six weeks. And they've already mentioned they're going to do something else. So, anyways, Wacy, you wrap it up, and we'll uh, call her good. I have two things before we wrap up. Yep. I noticed that Nickelback is on your list. I want to know if you think that the internet hate that they get is just or just because people think it's cool to make fun of Nickelback on the internet. Well, here's what's weird. I love Nickelback as a premise. I, I don't have a problem with Nickelback either because this is my my problem. Like the people who, who bag on, like there's people who bag on them and they're really loud about it, right? That's oh, the worst. They're really, really loud about bagging on Nickelback but how many records in a row sold over 10 million copies man they're like the more like the one of the greatest Canadian rock bands ever and their one music the greatest is rock awesome. bands ever yeah literally yeah any rock so especially bands. of our generation too right like I'll just say everyone 50 and over or 45 and older they're they want to punch you in the face right now for saying that instead of rush but I'm with you I would listen to Nickelback I would listen to the same song over and over and over all day for 24 hours. You you could force me to stay awake and listen to one song over and over and over before I'm made to listen to the Rush catalog. So I agree with that. I'm with you. But I, I'm gonna I'm gonna um I don't I don't I've never understood the some of the the hatred and things that people say about uh Nickelback. That said, I do understand it when it comes to Creed. I, I, thought, <laughs> I love Creed. <laughs> I, I thought that was a, a yeah, that was junk. It was uh, it was junk. And, um, and at one time, this is a funny this is a funny story. So I did not write a preview in the Tennessean for a Creed concert, but I was at the Creed concert to write a concert review. So mind you, I have not yet written the review of Creed. <laughs> They're on stage playing. And Scott Stapp, he's off stage. When he comes back out, he's holding the Tennessean, the newspaper, and he reads a, what is really a snarky preview. And then urges... The audience now. Meanwhile, the the seat I'm sitting in is press row, and I'm the only press there. So I'm in a I'm in a row where there's like four empty seats on either side of me, and I'm holding a notebook and I've been taking notes. And so he's bagging on the the Tennessean up on stage. Everyone around me turns and they're facing me, and I thought, oh my god, and. And, uh, and he's really bagging on the paper. And security from the Am South Amphitheater, because the promoters, the, all those girls that worked for the Am South in the front office, they knew where I was and they knew I was by myself. And they thought that somebody is going to punch him in the face thinking <laughs> I wrote what was in the paper. So they, they, I, they get me out of the audience and into the, into the office. And then um, 
I write my review, which is also not kind. Not too shitty, but it's not kind. And the Tennessean has no idea at the actual Tennessean office that Scott had done anything on, said anything about the paper on stage. That's a lot. The next day, uh, a random call comes into the paper and they said, oh, hey, we wanted to, you know, we read this article by Keith Ryan Cartwright and uh, how can we send him, um, you know, I just want to congratulate him on such, you know, such a good uh, review that he wrote. And one thing led to another and they gave them my email address, but it's not a Tennessean address. It's my email address and i'm at home working and all of a sudden um my computer goes ding 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 oh no they posted my email address on all these creed message boards oh no and all the little creed kids whatever you what what do they call what what were you guys called i don't know probably creeps yeah not not that hardcore of a fan okay so you weren't one of them who emailed me? No, hell no. I got, I got so many came in in such a short time that that they locked my email account. And then I had all kinds of emails saved that I really needed. And I had to call and I'm going round and round saying, here's what happened and da, 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 da. And they said, well, can't you just start a new email address? I said, no, I mean it's my work email. Like I use this for work. Like all these publicists have it and blah, blah, blah. And so they said, I wanted them to, I said, can you just turn it back on and just delete anything that came in the last 24 hours? And they said, no, really, we usually just discard these emails when something like that happens. Like it's an overload to the system. Yeah. And they said, the only way, the only thing we can do that will allow you to keep your email address is we have to wipe the whole thing clean. So I lost all the emails, oh. all the all the messages that I really needed to return for whatever. Like I, I lost everything, but it took about 72 hours. I, I got my email address back. Holy. But, uh, but That's yeah. wild. Beef with Korean were they were, were they were crazy. Last question, wrap it up, Keith. Um, what is your definition of cowboy shit? Shit that has to do with a cowboy. <laughs> I I mean, like you and you kind of touched on a lot of it as we talked to like the essence of it and talking about the book and and the just the authentic relationships you've had with those people. So yeah, again, we can probably like pulled the other bit of a definition out of that stuff. Cow, like. You're talking about cat. We talk about cowboy shit. It's all, yeah, the all, all, all the things that have to do with being a cowboy, and that that's the spirit of the cowboy, the technical stuff of a cowboy, like all, all things having to do all all the you know. I use the word thing. All things or all shit having to do with being a cowboy. That's that's what cowboy shit is. We like it. Thanks, and Steve. Black Cowboys the Rodeo, Unsung Heroes from Harlem to Hollywood and the American West. Keith's book is out November 1st. Anywhere books are sold. Support Keith. Support the Western Heritage. Black Cowboys the Rodeo. It's uh, Wacey and I have both 
gone into it a long way so far. Check out Keith's work as well. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, check out his website. Again, Black Cowboys Radio out November 1st. Thanks to the author, Keith Ryan Cartwright. We appreciate your time. Thank you. This ain't some rhinestone bit. This ain't some circus show. Yeah, son, this is pure cowboy shit. Ancient daddy's rodeo. No, it ain't his rodeo. Thanks to our guest this week, Keith Ryan Cartwright. Appreciate you being on the show. His new book, Black Cowboys Rodeo, from Harlem to Hollywood and American mm-hmm. West, coming out November 1st, wherever books are sold. Wacy Cowboy Shit is brought to you proudly by Manscaped and Circle 4 Beverage Company. Tell us about those fine sponsors. Oh, we got, so as I mentioned in the first half, Circle 4 Beverage Company, they've been with us for a while now. They got the sweet water. They got the ranch water. Basically, in most uh, prairie liquor stores, you can find their stuff now. But yeah, check them out, circle4beverage.company.ca. Um, you can find their store locator. Check them on social media at Circle Four Ranch Water, and stay up to date with what they're doing. And we got. Oh wait, wait! Before we go too much further, we have a, a personal endorsement from Kobe Moore on Ranch Water. And, oh uh, right, yeah, and Sweet Water. <laughs> well, uh, there's knows. even more. A testimo- night, it's a testimonial. There's even more. Last night, I was uh, out to dinner with some of the some of the guys and their girlfriends at, at Earl's, and there was a gal from Medicine Hat who was asking, <clears throat> "How is that Ranch Water?" And I was just like. Lady, it is made around the corner from you. What are you doing? Why haven't you not tried this? But no, I, I brought a four pack over to my dad this summer and uh, just just on a whim, see what he would he would think. He's a he enjoys his tequila and and he got one sip into the thing and asked me where he can invest. So, I mean, Damn, there you uh, go. my dad knows his booze and, and quite enjoys the ranch water and the sweet water. Brought a little bit of that over to him the other day and those went down just as smooth. He said so. I, I just don't think there's anything on the market. When it comes to your just seltzers, coolery drinks, if you will, that you can pour over ice and that go down like a damn water. And then mm-hmm. you feel really different after a couple <laughs> of those. A hundredth, hundredth episode party was a sponsored by Ranch Water in my world. I'll tell you that. That right was now. ridiculous. That was a hell of a time. Yeah, it was a good uh, time. How many people go. do that? Wait, like, how many people have backyard karaoke parties? Is that a thing? Not like, many people. Not many people. No. I'm glad that we do it because I think it's great. It's so fun. It was yeah, that was way cool. I yeah, had way too much fun time. that night. Wait, um, it turns out Kobe is a big sublime guy, didn't it? That was it? great, man. There was a couple of performances that just got that got hammered out, which is great. It was good Preston, to see you. Good to man see you back under. behind the mic. Yeah, Preston, he does get a man down under, actually. Yeah, that was, he that that wild. And then Ted, he said, good to see Teddy back on the mic for his iconic New York, New York. If you ever get a chance to hear that, people, like, <laughs> you want you want it it's excellent that's right in what teddy's you think, uh, king of the road though too i think that might that's be good one too well. I, I just like it's just new york just a bit more like you got a little bit more uh more jam to it a little bit yeah a little more mm. yeah yeah a little bit more on <laughs> showbiz baby <laughs> <laughs> um okay. also we can't forget yes. about our friends from manscaped again bush. get 20 percent off free worldwide shipping using code huge bush at manscaped.com it's huge cuffing bush. season you don't want hairy pumpkins heading into cuffing season you want if you're fooling around the corn maze, you want to make sure the pumpkins are clean. So use twenty, you get twenty percent off with code Huge Bush at Manscaped from us to you. We got the right tools for the job at Manscaped. Get it done right, baby. Let's are go. you hiring a Are you hiring a scripting for marketing company? Because that was gold. I was just made that up as I went along. I love it. <laughs> the pumpkins keep the pumpkins tidy, boys. Okay, keep them uh, pumpkins Kobe. Clean. I think our I think our next segment of the show is your buckle. I think we need to uh, discuss Kobe's this. buckle. Yeah, I've got a buckle. I uh, 
I guess I've been around the sport a little while and, and noticed that a lot of people have some pretty cool buckles and I've, I've never really been someone that wants to go out of my way to make sure I get one or do anything as badass as anyone else does. But, uh, I've been seeing a lovely young lady for a little while now and, and, uh, she happens. She's to, real. I've seen her. She's real. I've seen, I've seen her. her. Uh, I've she, she had a little accomplishment back in her day and, and so I've been running around wearing, hold on here. Let me get this thing you off. Hold that. Yeah. Let's get this uh now this is awkward get your mouth out of my face but uh this pinoca stampede 2020 or 2017 um and uh i figured is that troy fisher uh i'm not sure it's got jones boys on it it's the Um, jones boys spectacular but uh i uh i i don't know it's at her place i think it's a it's a badass buckle and, and you always hear guys wearing either their traveling buddies won something that's not one they're going to stick on their belt right away or giving it to your girlfriend. I said, well, let's just flip this script and, and see what the hell happens and, and wear a, a miss. I like that move a lot. I respect that. That's awesome. Hell yeah. You got to have a little bit of balls in this community to do that. But uh, I think uh, most people just uh, recognize that it's a pretty sick looking buckle and there's not much to be said there. I like the, I like the look of it. Yeah. It's awesome. Still warm. That's nasty. <laughs> that's such a nasty. Oh no. oh no! I have a funny. I had a funny story. I'll tell you guys when we're done recording about something that happened to my. Oh, right yeah, now. you just. That's, that's you not just good. No, I can't. No, honestly, no. I have family listens to this podcast, and it is not a. Fam- <laughs> it is not I a family mean, friendly story. It it can't be worse than the first couple episodes dropping thirty seven. No, like this F-bombs. is not. Like I, I'm not. I'm not comfortable telling this when I know that people who I know are listening. Fair enough. Um, what it makes me think of it happened in Lethbridge, Ted, when we were together that one year. I like, uh, I like your, I like it though, Kobe. That's awesome. I like that move. Yeah. I appreciate it. Give it a go. Maybe I'll learn. I haven't won a buckle in so long. So if I ever end up dating another horse girl, I might start wearing her buckles. Do it. I think you should. And then make TikToks about it and just, yeah, just go after it. Man, I've already got, I got TikTok under the, in the palm of my hand. When are you going to bring Kobe and me into TikTok? Please don't bring me to TikTok. I have some, I have some ideas for, for TikToks with more than like, just like some for us that we need to do. Okay. Um, so we'll have to do a content day. One of these ones. I, uh, can't help but notice there's a lot of new, um, cowboy shit merch rolling around the world currently. Um, when are we renting like a Ferrari or something? Cause this is like, <laughs> Vice, this is vice city and that would make a great Miami set of Vegas. photos. Do we gotta vice get, city, do we gotta get white, uh, white sunglasses and, and Ferraris. We gotta go like, like Magru- we gotta like go like MacGruber looks. Well, when we got to the start, party. We can probably do this photo shoot in about eighteen to twenty-four months when Ted gets a, a good mustache going. That's gonna be another eight to, eighteen to twenty-four years. We can just get him a fake. <laughs> let's get him a fake stash. Oh yeah, I'm gonna. But yeah, good. Oh, thanks for mentioning perfect. that, Kobe. We got some new merch that just dropped. That's pretty cool. We've got a Check new it out. Hoodie. We've got new hoodies. Eighties vibe designed by our one, the one and only Storm Defoe. Uh, we also gotta get this on a hat. We don't have it done yet, but I think it's gonna be a deadly hat for sure. I think that sure people like that. are gonna people are gonna eat that logo up. I don't have the blue one handy. Do you, Wacy? <sighs> no, I don't. I don't either. But it's on the but, website, cowboyship.ca. Yeah, check it out. Check out the new merch in stores now and at cowboyship.ca. Hit um, new stores every every day. And I uh, got some new hats on the go as well. So, so uh, And we got yeah, some big stuff coming from Montana Silversmiths too, which is really yes. neat. Stay tuned for something. I have seen it in, the, in some of the photos. We kind of just teased it out a little We're bit. We're teasing there. it. We're just giving you a little taste, a little, ta- yeah, little teaser. Um, sure. Also, well, Ted, we also... Did a thing and you got some season tickets to the flames oh yeah that's a big so move the, making money moves to the game the other day uh i went, I went hockey is back how nice was it to be back in the dome watching hockey yeah. game pretty thrilled 
I was so, man, I almost like got a little, well, obviously, because I was high as a kite too, but I got a little emotional. Did you cry? Watch. I was just like, I was like, I had to like sit down and just like drink it all. And I was like, man, this is so nice to be back. I had a mm-hmm. beer watching. I love watching hockey. It was just, the boys were buzzing. It was awesome. You don't realize it's such a standard part of your upbringing, standard part of our lives. Sporting was <clears throat> live sporting events and things like that. It was the CBS commercial that they did before the PBR came back last year. They did a, a spot where they were, they were visiting like domes and buildings and, and just iconic sporting venues all over the place, mainly America, but like everything down to a slow pan through an empty Indianapolis and stuff. And, and it did like a whole, you know, this is important right now and, and moves mm-hmm. over to families being at home and being together and things like that. When it was, when, when all the COVID things were, were really at the height. And I will admit to you that commercial made me tear up because it, oh, it just made you realize how much mm-hmm. that outlet, how much a sporting outlet we can stand here and, and scream at each other about, you know, riders stamps and stuff, but <laughs> that's, it's part of what, it's part of what makes life interesting and, and, and yeah. like that to look at. So I can, I can vouch for being a little emotional getting back. Oh man, it was great. Looking forward to hitting it, hitting a few games this, this winter for sure. Who are you most, who are you most excited to see play in real life, Ted? Who me? That you haven't seen play before. Oh, to actually see play. I don't think I've seen Crosby play yet. I don't know. If That's a seen. treat. That's like one of the, I've seen him play twice now. Oh, it's so yeah. fun to watch. He's amazing. Yeah, and like, he may, I don't know he may not be back in the lineup though for the game Kucherov. here. Oh, really? I'm, I'm excited sure. to see some of those big, big dogs. I don't even know if I've seen, uh, well, no, I think I've seen Price play too, but hopefully like through our friends, Dustin and Allie, the, uh, trails is maybe that maybe we'll get to meet price carrie when be, he, i wouldn't be i wouldn't be bad maybe he'll be, be on bad, the show by then who knows we'd love yeah, you that gotta get love the trails in order and, and bring them um soon. i'm looking most forward to seeing krill caprizov oh minnesota yeah he's a he's an electric player and it's cool to see minnesota has a little bit of you know, life so you know who stood out to me a lot one time when i was at the dome um was jack eichel that guy was impressively he's good. smooth hey one time when i saw him at the dome yeah he was yeah he was impressive like he stood out i didn't yeah. i was one of the first times i remember somebody somebody standing out when i was at the dome and then obviously mcdavid the first time i saw Connor mcdavid play was remarkable i remember uh it had been i think it was after his rookie year or right in his rookie year yeah but he, he picked up the puck like in, in edmonton zone and i think he like skated like so fast past dennis weidman that it just was like dennis weidman looked like a beer league player in the nhl McDavid just like cheat coded around him and scored. It was well, amazing to watch. Did you, did you know that McDavid is the longest serving captain in Oilers history now? Really? Yeah. That's unfortunate. It's been that long, hey? Man, I, I think the Oilers are going to be really good this year. I hope so because they're about damn time. I think Hyman's going to be money, though. Hyman and PRV oh. are going to have heck of, a, heck of a season. Yeah. So is Tyson Berry. And, and uh, I, I'm curious to see what Duncan Keith does. That one's kind of a bit of a wild card. With, he's yeah. The, the, the one thing about Duncan Keith that people, don't really give enough credit for it. He keeps himself in really good shape. So, did okay. you guys see the glass ceiling that was uh, broken in the WHL here recently? Um, no. no. My ignorant, <clears throat> excuse me, my ignorance. Uh, I don't know the name or her name anymore. But the first female referee. Oh yeah. And the OH. There's one in the O too. Oh, as, yeah. The that's OHL awesome. had. Yeah, there's more like they're trying to get. In, they talked about it on Spitting Chicklets. They're trying to get more female referees. I think they said they'll probably see one in the AHL this year too. What do you think the time frame would be on seeing when the uh, in the dub or in the the chell in the, in the PBR? I bet you in I bet in you in the next well, I bet you in the that. next uh, two years we see an NHL like a linesman, a yeah. woman linesman. I think it's badass. It's not I, far I'm, off because they did they had a, just an NFL game with like an all female like referee. I think it was a, it might have been a preseason game. I can't remember. That's cool. Um, 
I I don't yeah. see why the why there's any sort of gender role there, in officiating. Is there space? Myself. Is there space for a lady to play in the NHL, or is it just too much too much difference? I I don't know. I think that like, the women that are playing are skilled enough, mm-hmm. but it's I don't know because there's no it's different like rules, Contact, right? Really yeah, the con. I, I sure that I'm sure that there's they could, but. I don't, I don't know. There's been there's been a more in like women's hockey is like making a comeback. It's a lot lots of stuff happening. Like lot more, it's more it, attention being brought it, to it. So I think it's more community and, and an environment yeah. thing because I got nothing nothing against men and women competing together and against one another. But the NHL is certainly at a level where it, it's just at that level. And my my uh, opinion is that investment needs to come back to the women's sports. You hear that so much that uh, you just don't get that same marketing. I think there's more value for the like women's that. game for the like, to have support from the NHL rather than I them try to get women try into the NHL. Outside? Yeah, 100%, 100%. I think there's more value in that. They got to um, buy into it. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, man. Time will tell. Crazy times. Well, Thanks for listening. This has been episode 101 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. I'm Ted. He is Wacy. Thanks to our friend Kobe Moore for being on the show and our guest Keith Ryan Cartwright, our editor Sean Morton, Storm Defoe on the graphics and the merchandise, shipping, receiving, uh, organizing. Chief um, Chief Operations or Chief yeah. Chief of Operations, COO. basically. COO. Uh, also, don't forget to check our social media, Cowboy Shit Official, most platforms. You can say what Wacy. we're doing, TikTok. merch, TikTok. Um, our sponsors Circle 4 Ranch Water Circle 4 Beverage Company and our friends at Manscaped use code HugeBush to save 20% and free robot shipping Manscaped.com at Covey Moore on Instagram at Covey Moore on Instagram check him out he's one of the he's one of the best in the biz for good reason Um, he is the best we'll catch you next time boys I appreciate it thanks for having me doesn't matter what anybody says anyways that was (laughs) it my first love was a fearless driving rain Scared to death, I thought I'd never see her face again They say God was crying, so I guess he felt my pain My first love was a fearless driving rain My first love was a wild, sinful night I ran out with the big dogs, guess I had more bark than bite No, I won the battle in the end I lost the fight Yeah, my first love was a wild sinful night